Afghanistan as it was, was really, really kicking off. It was such a target-rich environment. There was so much badness out there. You know, you couldn't go out enough hunting high-value target individuals, you know, really attacking that, that network from the top. When you're a special forces medic, you're going to see somebody with a leg blown up or, you know, that's been shot. You have to deal with that. I remember the first time I saw special forces, they just looked like rock stars. Yeah. And I remember saying to one of the guys I was on the gate with, like, how do I become one of those guys? How would you explain through dark? It's a high-performance outerwear brand. I mean, special forces, you get everything thrown at you. And we still found fault with it, so it's like, maybe we can have a go at this. How hard can it be? Our kind of mantra, our strap line underneath through dark is endeavor through adversity. And we wanted the brand to, to be super technical, to be the best outdoor brand, but we wanted to just carve our own path. Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sports and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 80 million views. Staz and Louis are ex-Special Forces and also the founders of the clothing brand Through Dark. The boys go in depth on special forces selection and the deadly tours they've been on throughout their careers. We also talk about Through Dark and how they come together to form our first brand partnership with them. This is the eventful life of Staz and Louis. Today we've got the founders of Through Dark Clothing. What we're going to do, we're going to roll all the way back. We're going to split it up a little bit. We're going to roll all the way back, Staz. And where did you grow up and how did you end up getting in the special forces? Oh, geez. Um... Long story short, hopefully, because I love to waffle dodge you, know that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I grew up or was born up in, in Lancashire and in Wigan. Um, normal kind of middle class uh, uh, upbringing. So uh, nothing too sort of special to shout home about. Uh, obviously, it's a big sort of rugby league community up in Wigan. My uncle played for Wigan Warriors. I uh, just remember sort of being outdoors a lot, all that kind of stuff. Uh, some good fond memories. Uh, I've got an older sibling, uh, my brother Andrew, who's a couple of years older than me. You know, I just remember being out all the time, just constantly outdoors, playing and just getting up to mischief as, as most sort of young boys do at that age. Around about the age of seven, I moved to Nottingham. Uh, my parents split up, so I moved with my mum and my brother down into, into Mansfield and with a stepdad as well. Obviously, that was a big change uh, for me personally. Uh, new schools, new environment, uh, different fucking accents, all that kind of <laughs> shenanigans, loads of scrapping, finding, trying to find my, my feet and my way in school. Uh, started playing um, football then, so sort of transitioned from rugby to football, uh, getting on quite well with that. And around about the age of 11, I had my first kind of kick in the tits. You know, uh, my mum passed away. Uh, suddenly, it was a brain hemorrhage. So overnight, my kind of life changed dramatically. Uh, sort of in a house with a stepdad that we didn't really get on with, uh, sort of feeling at a loss, not unsure what to do with myself. At that time, it was just as I was moving into secondary school, the decision was made that we would stay down in Mansfield. I wouldn't move back up to Nottingham with my dad and my family up there. And thankfully, um, and looking back now, I'm very grateful. My grandparents and my mum's parents moved down, sold up Lockstock. Uh, they bought a, a small little bungalow in a village, Rainworth just outside Mansfield in Nottingham. And we, we live with those guys. And I think for me, I just cracked on school uh, football, mainly was my, my outlet and my passion, my purpose. 
continued through school, played for England schoolboys, was doing quite well at football. That didn't work out. Went to college, started playing for British colleges, got offered a football scholarship in America. That didn't work out for various reasons. Uh, I then left college, joined a gym, a local gym, uh, as a gym instructor, sorry, and personal trainer, working as a lifeguard. Um, and I had a couple of years at that, and, and I guess for me, was was uh, feeling a bit of a loss. I thought there's gotta be more to life than this. Uh, and that's not locking gym trainers, just for myself. I sort of always had that desire and that sort of burn inside me to try and push myself and keep going. So around at that time, the Iraq war was kicking off and, and obviously the Twin Towers, all that kind of stuff was happening. So I started to look into the military and in particular the Royal Marines. So I went to a local Armed Forces Careers Office in Nottingham. Um, it, to, to be honest, it was between the Marines and the Paras. I think it was just kind of what's the hardest, most challenging you know, military course mm. I could do. And it was the Marines or the Paras. But when I walked into the Armed Forces Careers Office, uh, the kind of big imposing character that was behind the desk was a Royal Marine. So. I went through that process then of all the kind of fitness side of things, and then I, I enrolled, I joined. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm on a train, uh, I'm turning up at, at the Commando Training Centre Royal Marines in Limpston, um, stepping off the train, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, fucking suitcase in hand, like an oversized suit. Uh, and, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> cheers, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, then went on to, to crack through, you know, Royal Marines training, which is the best part of 32 weeks. It's the longest basic, I say basic infantry course that you can undertake. Um, sort of passed all the way through that as an original, uh, did quite well, um, kind of found my calling, really enjoyed it. Uh, loved the sort of soldiering aspects and elements of it, that kind of camaraderie, the brotherhood, felt like I was a part of something bigger and, and, and better than myself. And, and I really enjoyed that aspect. Probably there was a, some sort of crossover from sports and team sports mm. as well, which I thought I'd missed and lost out of from football. I did sort of three years in the Marines. I did my sniper course, so I was sort of qualified to be a, a sniper within the Royal Marines. And at that stage, that was at the end of that sort of thir third year in the Royal Marines, and I remember the, at the end of that course, being to the chief instructor and him sort of saying to me, you know, congratulations, you passed the course. Where do you want to go? What sort of sniper billet do you want to go into and what unit? Uh, there's obviously loads of different units in the Marines for people that don't know that are located in various locations across uh, across the UK. And for me, it was it was all about special forces. And, and I'd had that sort of seed planted early days. I guess when I was working as a gym instructor, I started getting into books and reading. Uh, I was never that academic in school. So mm. that's kind of when I first started reading, I guess, for my own pleasure. And, and it was all focused around the military and military history and particularly special forces and Andy McNabb books and all this kind of stuff really intrigued my, uh, my interest in special forces. Uh, and well, mainly the SAS as well, uh, the SAS as a brand. Most people have heard of the Special Air Service and SAS because they probably wrote more books and, it, and it's, uh, it's, it's more well known. But for me in the Marines and for people that don't know for context, UK Special Forces kind of encompasses SAS, SPS and a few other units. Um, it's a joint selection course that you go on to. And before you go on to the course, you sort of uh, highlight which unit you would like to join. And generally speaking, it's not the rule, but generally speaking, most people that have been in the Royal Marines end up in uh, based down here in Poole in the SPS. And the uh, paras or the army guys, generally speaking, tend to go into the SAS. So off I went. So I spent uh, the next 10 years uh, down here in, in Poole in the Special Boat Service during what was probably uh, the most um, operationally active time that, that the, uh, the service has ever seen. So that's 13 years in the military in short, mm. um, three in the Marines, and my four, more formative years were spent 
in the uh, in the SBS, and I sort of finished my last two years as a sergeant uh, and ended up in a, in a training kind of role. So I was the I finished as the chief sniper instructor for the SBS, which included all sort of uh, anything from small arms, so pistol, uh, uh, close quarter combat training, you know, room clearance kind of stuff mm. that, that, pe- uh, that uh, for people that are listening, um, and then long range shooting as well. So that was it for kind of the uh, growing up the military yeah. and then I left with Louis in 2018 which we'll cover and we set up um, through dog technical outdoor uh, high performance fantastic well, what a journey just a just a quick we roll back there how old were you roughly when you went to the special force when you went into the uh, Royal Marines so Royal Marines I was uh, 21 okay so did three years there and then did 10 years in the special forces correct brilliant Superb. And we'll just hold us on that one, that special force. We'll move into that in a minute. Let's roll over to you, Louis. Where did you grow up and uh, how did you end up getting into the special forces? So that was, uh, I'm impressed actually. That was quite condensed for stuff. So <laughs> He's planned that one, hasn't he? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'll, I'll try and do the same. So I guess uh, I was born in Kendall, Cumbria, uh, God's County. So I got brought up on a council estate, which is um, in Cumbria, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, it's it, it was a nice place to get brought up. Yeah. So I guess the surrounding area up there is just like it's a it's a little boys' playground. You know, it's hills and countryside and and rivers and streams and and everything else. So it's like it was a nice place to grow up. Um, I say that I got dragged up a little bit. Um, so I guess my mum and dad had separated. So um, it was me and my elder brother. So he's three years older, and I, I do. I owe a lot to my brother because I guess he he brought me up really. I guess being an elder sibling, I always looked up to him. So everything that he was doing, I wanted to do as well. So it was it was it was a good it was a good upbringing, um, and I definitely owe that to my brother. So um, <clears throat> he was quite good at sports. I kind of followed as well. He was more of a rugby guy, and I was a football guy. Um, but I was never I was never going to make it big time. You know, I played around I played around at county and mm. and. It, and everything else but I guess he he always wanted to join the military he um all the, the adverts were out at the time and it was the Royal Marines 99.9 percent need not apply and I think that that got everybody on a hook great advert <laughs> great so, advert wasn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah such a negative kind of negative um advertising portrayal that you're like oh you don't think I'm good enough so yeah. I guess um my brother did that and he was he was very successful and and quickly i i followed suit so i guess i did my a levels i must have been 19 um i did okay a levels i dropped a couple of subjects but i wasn't academic mm. so um yeah i went down similar similar to stars ill-fitted suit didn't know what i was doing really um yeah, I got down to train station at Royal Marines and then I, I did really well in training again. Um, I think it's, it's quite embarrassing, really, but I got the most improved recruit. So, that, so what, <laughs> what, that's, what that says, by the way, is that um, at the start, I was terrible. Yeah. You know? And it's like it took me a lot for me to kind of grasp what, what I needed to 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 pass you know but I, I was an original so that means that you start finishing the same troop and um i think that uh, I, d- I did a really good job you know i had a lot to learn and a, a lot of growing up to do which that's what the marines does right i think that anybody that maybe hasn't had a father figure or hasn't had a decent family around them that's what you get from when you join, join the royal marines so yeah i did well at that and then i guess um i've i've always been like looking at the next thing there's that you know progression for me has always been been a huge part of my 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 personal life like what's the next step and um so the stepping stone from there was like okay well i'll try and go into recce troop or into mountain troop so they're they're more kind of more um 
they're superior parts of the military, I guess, that you want to step into. And then Special Forces Support Group was my next stepping stone from that. So I went to work in um, St. Athens in Wales for, for a short period. And that was my kind of eye opener to see what the Special Forces world was like. And, uh, and I was sold, you know, I was like, right, well, I want to be the best, I guess. Being a soldier, you know, the first the first doorway you go through as, as a Royal Marine, it's like you feel like you've achieved so much. And it's like to see that holy grail of special forces was always something that you you just aspire to, to be and you, you want to do it. So, um, yeah, I must have been probably 26, 27 that I did uh, the first special forces selection. I actually failed mm. on my first one. So I got a stand up fail. So it means that you've done the whole course get all the way to the end and for whatever reason they turn around and go look you, oh, you, you're not good you're joking mate oh, that is brutal yeah. honestly yeah. yeah how so, long was that course i think it's what, nine months correct me if i'm wrong yeah yeah so um and uh, you know what when i look back on that it's like it met uh, all of the all of the failings i've ever had i always i always look at them and i go that's made me who i am today yeah. so I'm, I'm actually thankful for that although albeit like i i, I do feel like it was i was partly wrong done wrong by but um that is the way that it goes mm. you know we'll probably come on to talk more about mm. that special forces selection process but it, it, it's fucking brutal yeah you know so and you know you might get to the end and you might be all singing all dancing soldier you're gonna get stand up for whatever reason yeah. so stand up fail so yeah it was um a real low part in my life and i do look back on it now and it was i was fucking in the depths of hell you know it's like i was i was a broken man i had after coming out of the jungle i had um um, all sorts of like worms and stuff crawling inside my skin and it's like oh. I was obviously so deflated by the fact that I thought I'd done enough to pass and I was like I was on my ass um, and I got told not to come back for two years and I kind of I, I, I mugged it off and I said no I'm coming back on the next one so um, yeah I, I put I put my, my ass on the line again and then <clears throat> did that second second um, selection process and I smashed it. So, um, and then I spent probably, I think it's seven years, you're gonna have to correct us if, if we're wrong on some of these years, mm. could I get lost in it? But I think it's so seven years in, in the Royal Marines, seven years in Special Forces, um, joined a little bit after STAS. Uh, we were in separate troops, so I guess that, um, we are separate squadrons, so we worked separately, but we knew each other from old anyway. I mean, we met in the Royal Marines in 2003, so we'd, our paths had always crossed at mm. some point. And uh, yeah, so seven years in, in, in the Special Forces, and um, and then myself and Staz quite naively decided we were gonna go outside and start a, a high-performance outdoor clothing company. How old can it uh, be? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute shift for, for the last five, bordering on six years mm. to, to get to where we are today. So yeah, that's kind of a rough- Quality. Rough. Let's just roll back a little bit there. Talk, talk to me about selection. You said you did nine months. During that nine months, are you thinking, I'm gonna get, I'm not going to pass, I'm not going to pass, I'm going to pass. Or you think, I'm going to pass, I'm going to pass, I'm going to pass. Was there any triggers in your mind? You're going, actually, they've clocked me. They've given me a bit of information, so I'm not going to pass this. And what do you think made you not pass after that nine months? I think, um, so So along the way, you were, I think I, everybody's got doubts, right? You and, and they feed that into you. I guess that that's another thing. It's like they're testing you. So they want they want you to doubt yourself. They want you to doubt every single thing that you do. So, I mean, you, 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 you'll... You'll do one thing and be questioned on it, and then you'll do what you think is the the, the right thing or the wrong thing. I, I know you've done the wrong thing, and they'll question it. You know, yeah. they want they want to see how you handle that. I guess it's 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 important that you do fuck up and you fuck up on selection, and and they 
have a perspective on how you handle that fuck up more than more than the actual fuck up itself and making sure that you don't do the same fuck up more than twice. Mm. So it's designed in such a way to Louis's point just to test every element of your being so that you get the physical aspect, you know, and you can test that through um, obviously physical exertion through time marches, heavy loads, the packs, all that kind of stuff. And then they'll start layering other bits on. So lack of sleep, lack of food, complex tasks, all that kind of stuff. And then um, with the other stuff there, it, it, it's just always layered, always layered. And then the, the, the psychological element is probably more grueling and more brutal because you're constantly thinking, am I good enough? Do I deserve to be here? And as much as you try not to, it's hard not to look left and right and, and judge other people. And how am I doing? This guy looks fucking brilliant. He yeah. looks super strong. And how am I doing? And it, it's designed for that in that in that way for such a reason. And it's fucking very good. It's brutal, but it allows you to understand every element of you as well, because you'll never push yourself physically and mentally to those limits as much as you will on that selection process. And and as an ex a quick sort of story, an example to that is, you know, even if you're flying and you think, fuck, I'm doing all right here. And there's the days in the jungle where you think, fuck, I feel all right. And you have, you know, peaks and troughs and everything else, naturally, good days and bad days. But, you know, some days they'll just pick on you and think, fucking hell, Tinsley's doing all right, Staz is doing it right. Today we're going to fucking smash it. And we're going to see how he deals with this pressure. And mm. It's little things as well where just before you go up to, you know, you walk every day is just a fucking groundhog. It's a slog. To to maintain your uh, yourself and your personal admin in a jungle environment is horrific. It is hard, hard fucking work. You know, getting up in the morning and making sure you're clean and you're fed and you're rested, but also that you're, you know, you're dressed in the correct manner with the right kit. You know exactly where you're going. You're dressing your bearing is is on point you know you're with the special forces you know you have to kind of aspire to to be those kind of people but you walk to the the jungle house every morning to get a brief in terms of what you're going to be doing for the day from the chief instructor and all the other instructors are there and i remember just before i was kind of going up to the jungle house i was like i'm just going to stop short and i'm going to reapply my cam cream because it's one of those things you want to look the part mm. i took myself off the track applied my cam cream so it looked fucking brilliant Walk just another 20 meters down is the jungle house and one of the fucking instructors, the DS, caught me. Fucking stars go, get over here. Like, what the fuck's up with me? And straight away he was like, what the fuck is going on with your cam cream? And it was just one of those things where yeah. I thought, what? I've just fucking done it. So that's a really small example, but mm. that stuff constantly layered on when you're you're doing these tasks, you're live firing and, and the pressure's applied and they're constantly pulling you up and jumping out of fucking bushes. You know, what's your pacing? Where are you? Get your fucking map out. Show me exactly where you are right now. And... And with sleep deprivation, yeah, everything. And, and this is over sort of, sort of like four to five weeks yeah. in the jungle, you know, and it, it's fucking brutal. And, you know, you have to be on it. And some days you're not. Some days you have to, what's <laughs> pulling out my map and going, I'm not going to fucking clue. <laughs> and getting the old, getting the compass out and looking at him. It was one of the guys, Luke. He was a savage, DS. Yeah. So I sort of got my map and compass out and was like, I'm going to be honest, staff. I've not got a fucking clue. <laughs> And he was like, very good, love your honesty, put yeah. it away. I was like, because, you know, sometimes they're not expecting you to know everything mm. and be on top of everything, you know. They just want you, in that instance, to be honest and act mm. with integrity and not try to fucking blag people and just say, I've not got a, look, I'm chin strapped, I'm mm. fucking, I'm hanging out, I'm ball bagged, I'm at the end of my fucking tether. Mm. Like, I don't know. And and that's fine sometimes, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fucking brutal what's the What's the most brutal part of that whole... That whole that whole ride, that whole journey there. All of it. 
I don't know. It's, um, if it's, you were to break the nine months up for the listeners here, how would you break up those nine months? Because you're talking about the jungle, and the jungle is pretty much the end part, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so there's different phases. Different yeah. phases, yeah. And correct, so for, like a long time for me in Stars yeah. now. I mean, how many years ago now? It's like 2008. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but so trying to remember back now. So I guess that before you even get there, you've kind of been, you've been, they've, they've filtered the shit out, you know? So you go on your own sele- um, selection processes from the Marines as well to say that actually you're good enough to get onto it. So um, it's called a briefing, uh, briefing, briefing course. course. So, yeah. Yeah. so that's to check that you've got the aptitude to actually show up there and actually do okay, mm. you know? So by that point, so you've been filtered through the Royal Marines, 99.9% need not apply. Mm. <laughs> and then you've been filtered through the next selection process, which is the briefing course. So, you know, you might get, a, a, I don't know, like a 80% dropout from that. So then you might be down to a, a I don't know, like 20 people from each of those briefing courses that actually get onto selection. So, and then I think my mine started was quite big. So you've got like a hundred people that get onto the first part of selection. Ah, right. Mine was huge. I had like 200, 240 people. Really? Yeah, that turn up sort of week one, day one in Wales to start the first phase. And the first phase is- And Brecon Beacons. Yeah, that's the Hills yeah. phase. Yeah. Yeah, so um, and that, is that six weeks? I want to say six th- weeks. Yeah. Well, it, Are they just four, pressing four you every day? Yeah, so the Hills phase yeah. is is kind of the, um, let's see if you're physically fit and robust enough to get through this phase. And it's in Wales, it's heavy loads, packs, and you're out every day. It's fucking Groundhog Day, yeah. early mornings. It's miserable as fuck, you know, just carrying heavy loads over a prolonged period. It's timed marches. You've yeah. got to get from A to B in this specific time. Ah. If you don't make it, you're fucking off. Right. And that attrition rate is huge on the first first element of that first phase. I think, you know, at, at the end of, and bearing in mind, it's a volunteer course as well. So yeah. everybody on that course wants to be there. You know, this kind of, you've, you've, um, um, subscribe to the course knowing full well what you're putting yourself in for but at any stage you can go fuck this for a game of soldiers I'm out of it I'm off skis I'm yeah. off skis yeah. yeah and and that happens at various different levels for different people for different reasons as well and, and, and loads of different excuses but yeah the first four weeks is the hills at the end of the third week I think it is or the fifth you, you go into test week and mm. test week is sort of five marches four marches that you have to pass three uh, you can get a, a Freddy or a fail on one of those, but the last test you have to pass, and that's endurance. That's, I think, 64 kilometers uh, over a 24-hour period, sort of 70 to 80 pounds that you're carrying. And that's a... a, a what, 30 kg on your back? Yeah, which is pretty fucking great. Yeah. And the height loss and gain is, is, is obviously... Um, horrendous as well but for me that's kind of your filter process to see who can who can look after themselves who can self-motivate every day who can get up who can look after their admin because constantly your your feet are fucking blistered your back's blistered and rub raw you know you have to look after your kit and your equipment but it's quite a individual task you're on your own you're on the mountains you're navigating on your own from point a to point b you don't really speak to anybody else uh, and that's all about you as an individual and that's your kind of your ticket then to then move into the jungle so so just on that hold me on that period there so if it's like you had 200 and so you had 100 there yeah roughly yeah, roughly, roughly I know it's 15 years ago yeah. but roughly out of that 200 how many Arofskis after that for that whole period in Wales I can't remember so I'd be making it up yeah. um, but I, as a percentage probably uh, 70% wow yeah so the numbers 70% actually... left no gone 
They're gone. So you're yeah. now left with the hardcore. And bear in mind, yeah, and bear in mind, these people, to Louis's point earlier, have all been through this process, a briefing course. They, they're highly regarded within their respective units. They, yeah. they've, they've probably been on two, three operational combat tours in Afghanistan. You know, they're at a corporal to sergeant level. They might be snipers, recce troop guys, mountain leaders. You know, they're, they're very, very capable soldiers in their respective units. And they've gone through that process. So, you know, it's uh, then 70% of that gets cut as yeah. well. Um, and then you're into the kind of into the, the beat up training. You have a week up in Hereford to do some jungle specific training. And, and then you're constantly being the fucking learning curve is like that. Mm. You're always being thrown new information, new weapon systems. Everything's different to the Royal Marines. The weapon systems, the radios, you know, the, the, the uh, standard operating procedures, the drills for doing everything is different. And you've got to learn it. It's monkey see, monkey do. And if you don't learn what, the, what you're being taught and you mm. can't take on that information, again, you'll be cut because mm. you have to be safe at all times as well because everything's, you know, it's special forces. It, it's live firing. So when you go to the jungle, you know, the margin of error is so small. Mm. So that's it. You do the week beat up training for the jungle, knowing that you are going to go and spend the next five five weeks in the jungle. And I'll let Louis sort of cover off on yeah. that. I'll Where about, you say, you say the jungle here, Lou. Whereabouts in the world is that? So it's Brunei. Yeah. Brunei, is it? Yeah, so stepping back a little bit, because it's probably important to kind of say these things. I guess that first phase, the hills phase, is it, it kind of tests people's resilience. So mm. it's like that you get a lot of super fit guys on there and they're just not resilient. You know, they'll go down and twist a sock or whatever else. And it's like, they're off the course, you know. And then you get some weak-minded individuals who are just like, they've turned up, but actually they haven't got the grizz to go through it. It's like, oh, I've got blisters on my feet and I just want to I want to wrap my tits in and, yeah. just, and just call it a day. So you get a lot of that. So, my tits. It, so it's just like, you get, <laughs> it's so surprising though. It's so surprising because you get, I mean, you get some, you know, big absolute units of units of individuals on that course where you just like, you, you turn around and look and He's an absolute beast, and two weeks in, he's you yeah. know he's 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 got a sore knee or yeah. he's got blisters on his feet and he comes up. So it's yeah. like, do you not think though? For me, it, that really uh, was evident to me who actually really wants to be there. Some yeah. people like the idea of being special forces. You know that kind of I want to be special forces so I can tell everybody I'm special forces yeah. and I'm you know having that kind of aura and it really kind of um, filters the people who actually fucking want to be there and yeah. want it. Yeah, I think for me as well, it's like I had that mindset as well. I didn't think about anything else. You know, it was like everything, yeah. became, there wasn't even another option. It for consumes me. you. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I did not think about any other career options. I didn't think about what I could do if I left and, and became a civilian or yeah. anything else. Exactly it was just same. like, I am going to be special forces, do or die. And I'm going to put absolutely everything on the line so that's really important that's Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, I saw a, a, um, a meme or a little video clip about him recently and I was like fuck and it's exactly to, to your point what you're speaking about there is people have plan B's like I didn't have a fucking no, plan B same. do not have a plan B have a fucking plan A and make it work and make it fucking yeah. work do everything that you can within your power to yeah. fucking execute on plan but, A but because to do otherwise that otherwise people think about agree, it agree but to do that in special forces or in my state in business you have to be obsessed yes mm. You have to be obsessed and you have to have discipline, yeah. whether it's your world or in the business world, yeah. if you want to be a huge success. And if you have a plan B, you start thinking about plan yeah. B. When plan A is not going to plan, you start going, well, actually, I've got a plan I've B. And, yeah. and people were doing this on selection. People were pulling themselves off and going, wow, pulling themselves off. <laughs> people were you know, removing themselves yeah. and voluntary withdrawing. And when you, when you ask them, you know, you'd be on the hills, you'd be fucking snotty mess running around the top of a fucking beautiful mountaintop in yeah. Wales. And again, these big man mountain of people that at the beginning of the course, you think, fuck, he, he, yeah. looks, he looks the part and he looks physically fit and he is physically fit. And he's a but mentally. Monster. And they'd be broke. They'd be mm. breaking down on top of their Bergens, sobbing, crying. That realization had hit them that, fuck, 
I don't actually want to be here. Yeah. But then when you speak to them and say, what are you doing? Put your fucking bag on, because that's yeah. never an option for me. Yeah. Or it sounds like Louis too. Yeah. I was like, I don't get this, quit. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And then they go, ah, you know, I've, well, I've been offered something else. If, if I don't, if this doesn't work out, I've got oh, okay. this in place. Mm. And I was like, that fucking plan B thing again. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense to no, me. But no. it was like, Highland is a thing, innit? You remember everyone talking about, yeah. like you taking the heads and you draw strength almost yeah. from that, from them quitting. Yeah. Do you, are you looking around going, He's looking weak. He's looking weak. I'm always. feeling strong. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Okay. Always. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah. The Highland thing is. It's like <laughs> just think seeing somebody else like put their hand up and say, you know, that's that, I've, I've had enough. You know, it's like you get something from that. Get You're some like, energy from that. Okay. Thing. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm here and it's been filtered down and I can see I'm I'm feeling strong and I can see everybody around me. This starting to get rid of the people that you foresee as being weak at that yeah. stage and you're like okay well now i've got a really strong group together and it's but they still drop off you know it's incremental all the way um i guess so so that's the resilience piece which is really important everybody's carry, carrying an injury absolutely like i don't know yeah. anybody that went yeah. through that on those, on those injuries though you're talking about that the littlest things like a blister can play mind games you massively right yeah. on the scale though that is super low down yeah but everybody has fucking blisters yeah. Yeah. I mean I was, I was carrying a, an injury for, almost through both of my selections yeah, back to back and obviously that takes a toll on your body you know especially back to back doing doing another selection course but I mean everything was fucked on me and my knees were fucked my Achilles in particular was fucked but you, you find a way to drag yourself mm. through you know and it's like it's, it's you're on the clock so you've got to make it work you know and you're always looking at your watch going crap I'm not going to make it, you know, yeah. and it's like tight. So resilience is important. And the next one is like, it starts, they start to bring in the aptitude. So when Staz was talking about, okay, the next phase and you're, you're starting to learn the weapon systems, it's like, you've got to have an aptitude for picking things up quickly. You know, somebody, somebody gives you something to learn. You've got to be able to absorb it and be able to show that you've learned it in a short period of time. And there's no options, you know, if you don't get it and you don't get it quick, you're off. Give me an example. Know? So new weapon systems. So like Stas said before, I'm not going to get, go through the, the actual physical mm. we weapon systems, but you're used to using a, a particular system and they give you a completely new rifle to use. And if you haven't got all the drills squared away on that to be able to turn around and, and show that you can use it accurately when you're trying to shoot a target, you, you're going you're gonna to show up, yeah. you know, and it's like you fail because you've not hit the target and mm. you don't know your weapon system. Mm. So it's, yeah. there's, a, there's a saying in, you know, in special forces, it's not, they're, they're not fucking super soldiers, et cetera, et cetera. It's the basics done to a very high standard yeah. consistently. But I would caveat that with, you know, it, the basic level uh, and, and everything that you're being taught has to be done to, you know, a really, really high proficiency and standard. So, you know, weapons training and all this kind of stuff, you can't just pick it up and generally learn how it works and yeah. how to use it. You have to be very, very um, fluid and proficient at using those and, and radios and, and different ways that they operate. Special forces mm. are very different in terms of how they operate within their teams at an individual level and then as, as pairs and as teams mm. and they're oper operationally they're very, very different to the conventional Green Army. And how switched on have you got to be? If you're absolutely on your backside, you got to have your mind switched on to be cracking on with it or sniping or shooting or whatever. How... how Obviously, it's super important to have that, but are you just switching your mind on or is your mind switched on the whole time? Or do you get to a point where you go, fuck, here we go, bang, 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 I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Do you know, it's trained, it's trained. I think it's like that whole period, like of spending time in the military, it's trained into you. Like I said, when I, when I first start, started in, in the Royal Marines, like I wasn't very good, you know, yeah. but I picked things up and I learned things. And I think that, you know, you, you get used to it because you get, um, it's like inoculation to, to, to everything from, from how to shoot a weapon system or to 
um, you know, how to throw a grenade or whatever that is. And, you know, you, you, it's like it becomes like second nature to you. I mean, like I'm I'm I'd, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at most things, mm. but I'm, there's still shit I'm, I'm not very yeah. good at. You know, it's like it's difficult to be switched on all of the time. So mm. um, but in that scenario, I guess when you're when you're you are in amongst it all the time and you, you're in a training environment or you're being assessed, you have to be on it as much as you possibly can. And that's draining, right? Mm. So, and I guess that that brings us on to the next phase. So it's like you step away from doing kind of the aptitude part, which and is the individual Hereford. piece. Yeah. yeah. So that's like assessing you before you go into the into the jungle phase. So jungle phase is six weeks in total, but you go over to Brunei, and the first like ten days is on the beach. So, and it's an absolute. <laughs> Rashing. It's like, and it was so horrendous looking back on it now. Um, so they call it acclimatization. As well. so it sounds brilliant. It does sounds great. Go to the beach. Down the beach, boys. Yeah. Fucking acclimatization. <laughs> I didn't have a clue what was coming. Yeah. People yeah. were dropping left, right at Chelsea because you've just gone from a, a temperate climate in the UK and it's, well, it's 19 degrees, 20 yeah. degrees, whatever yeah. the fuck it is. So, so, and then you go to Brunei and I don't know, it must be like 40 degrees and the humidity is yeah. like through the roof so you, you body shock straight away but the first thing you do is you get off the flight and it's like unpack your kit and you're going for a beach run and it's not just like a, it's not just 2k down the beach the be beach is as far as you can see I mean that's 10k I don't know it's like and it's like right follow me so you follow on the DS and he's fresh he's been out there for like two weeks and he's acclimatized so you're like okay right sweating hot straight down the beach and they take it in turns so it's like one ds with, uh, oh. so directing staff and so he goes in he'll take you to develop for the first 2k at max at his max speed and then the next one's there and he's like fresh so he's like i'm gonna go at my max speed as well so you're oh. chasing <laughs> that around. sounds brutal i spent most yeah. of my time at the back i'll be honest same, same. yeah but it, that brings me back to it's like so, sometimes you don't have to be the front at the front all the time just and you'll try to be you yeah. know you'll try to be but you not every day you just haven't mm. got that capacity to be 120% all mm. the time. A, a good friend of mine actually said, said to me, he's like, you cannot be at 100% all of the time. Yeah. You've got to hold back. And I don't mean that in a Jack way. You've still got to, so Jack, when, it, when I say Jack, it means to be selfish. selfish. Yep. So it's like, you've still got to do everything you can to look after you, the, the guys to your left and your right. But there's times when you've got to take your foot off the gas yeah. because you're going to spank in, you know? And yeah. you see that, like so many people like will spank in on that on that all across the whole of the selection process. But in that phase in particular, because people are giving it 100% yeah. all of the time. But how annoying is it, trying to give it 100% when you don't know what the finish line is? Yeah. That's the difficult bit, because yeah. you're saying, well, you've jumped off a plane, bam, we're going to run down the beach. You don't know how far you're going. You've got to it's play like the game. Yeah. To that point, yeah. that is exactly why you have to play the game, mm. because you don't know where the end point is. Mm. So it's the game face in, in some instances, and they know as well. You've got to remember these DS, you know, the directing staff, the people that are taking you through the course, they've done what you've done, yeah. and you can't blag a blagger. Yeah. They know exactly what the fuck is going on and, and how sometimes you might take your foot off the gas and they're fucking on you. They, you know, to, to your point, I was never really the fastest runner, so I would be towards the back, mm. you know, on these kind of long beach runs, and you're spread out now. You'll get the racing snakes, the guys that are brilliant at running, but then they'll close the, the group up, and then it's onto fireman's carries, baby carries, crawls, and that's where I, would be okay generally yeah. sort of short deadly over short distances yeah, you know yeah, yeah. those kind of sprints and stuff i'd be okay and then it'd be spread out again to the next sort of checkpoint but you you have to do that because you have to look after yourself it's self-preservation mm. but you're on a fucking course you're there to finish you know that course at the end so there's no point sprinting like fuck you know holy fuck to begin with and and creaming in at the end so mm. you know to louis point you you know you're not you're not being jack you're, you're sort of almost being 
critical and clever in some respects in terms of how you manage your own energy reserves because you don't know where the fucking finish line is mm. or the end. So but you do know where the day you land, you do know the date you leave. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole everything in between, you've got to give you a lot. Well, and you don't fucking yeah. think about that. Well, I didn't. No. It's, there are elements. Was it 70 days? 70 days, as you said? Well, you're five weeks, but the first week five is, weeks, is the is acclimatization and all the drills and the range work that you do. So all the shooting and all the operate, uh, standard operating procedures that they take you through and man down drills and burg all this kind of stuff. And then to see that you're safe and proficient with the drills before they fly you fucking under the canopy and that's you for four weeks I've but sweaty pants I know I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking about it you know that's that says a lot you know when yeah. you talk about this it's like yeah. I'm talking about like a, a, a time in our lives yeah. where it was like you, it was fucking horrific you know you really were put to the fucking test you know yeah. so you're taking they're taking for the beach in helicopters and then dropping you off in the jungle well, no, from the from the camp. So yeah. where, where you're based on this sort of uh, camp, yeah. you, you're a, you're a two minute run from the camp, and then you're on the beach, and yeah. that's just the that's the the playground, the thrashing ground. Yeah. Uh, and then they take you from there in the wagons into the into, into the jungle where the range ranges are, where you do lots of live firing and shooting. Yeah. Um, and they'll see that you're all safe, you're proficient, and you got to imagine, like to Louis' point again, there's people fucking dropping out left, yeah. right, Chelsea. Heat stroke is a massive one. People are getting airlifted out back to hospital, and then if you finish that week. Uh, you then pack all your shit in your bags and then you jump on the helicopter, you fly on, you know, across the fucking jungle for an hour, two hours, and then you, it, all you can see is green everywhere and you think, holy fuck, we're in the fucking middle of nowhere here. They'll drop you in, land, you jump off the helicopter and that's you for four weeks in your bag, in your burg, in your bag, and the fucking kit and equipment that you're fucking stood in, good to go for four weeks. But... The point I was going to make is that uh, that you mentioned there about you're there for five weeks. Yeah. Who, for me, it was who fucking cares? And, yeah. and I couldn't think some days you're not thinking past the next fucking 15 minutes. Yeah, okay. Uh, one hour. And you have to take each day like that because if you start thinking ahead and what does what am I going to look like in nine months? Fuck yeah. me. There's moments on selection that you're just, you are in the moment right there and right then and you're just trying to put one foot in front of the other and survive and get through that day. But how mad is it? A couple of English lads, when you think about it, a couple of English lads flown into the jungle off you go make your bed snakes <laughs> spiders there must be fucking all sorts going on yeah it's uh, pretty horrific are I mean, you raising yourself up I take it yeah where you you're sleeping the yeah. 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 yeah you're on hammocks so yeah I mean it's like in the military you get taught how to do this anyway but it's like in the jungle you're basically you're sleeping in a hammock most of the time you have some rough nights where yeah. it's like actually you're sleeping, sleep, sleeping in the webs of trees as, you know <laughs> it's it's not comfortable you know you're sleeping with the, with the snakes and the spiders and fucking everything else it's like it's, it's horrific and it's it's pitch black it's like funny when you look back at it it's like you cannot see your hand in front of your face like and you've got to operate like that of a night time so setting up your bed of a night time it's pitch black and I'm not talking like you go into your bedroom yeah. there's a little bit of light there you cannot see anything you're doing everything by touch and feel you know so it's got to be that that much drilled into you that you know exactly where you are and, and, and what you're doing even in the dark so wow. it's like wow. and, and yeah and to lose point you don't operate in the jungle at night so you're you set up generally speaking uh, because it's fucking impossible to move in the jungle at night and to use certain um, night vision technology, etc. Just fucking all steams mm. up, and uh, it's not the time to move or operate in the jungle. So at the night time, that was the, probably the only saving grace of so the selection process for the jungle for me was you knew that when the sun dropped down, and then you were fucking all fingers and thumbs trying to set up your your hammock. <laughs> Once you got into that hammock, you had a, a, a period of rest. Uh, at least for 10 hours, I would say, 
But all you do through that 10 hours, especially if you've fucked up in the day, yeah. is sit up and worry about if you're still doing okay, right. if you've fucked up, do I still deserve to be here? My body's absolutely So you're fucked. doubting yourself every night yeah, still. you're a fucking sweaty, wow. sweaty mess. You're trying yeah. to eat food. You know, you're trying to remember everything that you've been taught. And that can be a really fucking lonely place mm, because you feel completely isolated. You're on your own. You're in your little hammock. You can't speak to everybody. It's not a big fucking ging gang. You've not got a fire going yeah, and no. everybody sat around fucking, you know, telling stories. Marshmallows. And, <laughs> yeah. You are, and it can be a really fucking lonely yeah place and you're left to your own thoughts and your own devices mm. to think fuck do I want to be here and mm. shit a lot of people are missing home and especially if you go into those sort of scenarios and jungle uh, training and the selection part if you've got shit going on back at home which a lot of guys do you know life's life yeah. you might be you know kids and misses and all this kind of shit going on it really does fucking start to play on mm. people mentally as well so when you got through this uh, selection you got home where was it when they said right you've passed or you're not passed are they saving it till you get home or are they doing it there? No, I think so, let's, let's, sorry, let's go back to your original question. Yeah. I think was, what was the hardest part? Yeah, the hardest part of the jungle, yeah. <laughs> and Louis said fucking everything, everything which, I, right. which I agree, agree. with. But I think the biggest kick, so when you finish the jungle phase, you're kind of, there's an element of you that thinks the hardest part of selection I've done. I've done the physical and the resilience bit. The, and then the jungle's all about soldiering and working as a team in your four-man patrols. And generally speaking, for most people, if you pass the jungle phase, you're you are onto a winner. You're kind of you have to fuck up monumentally, you know, to to be pulled off at that at that stage. But for me, the biggest fucking kick in the tits was um, the escape and evasion, the resistance to interrogation yeah. phase, where you go out on the run for five days. Uh, I, I did it in Wales. Some people do it in Scotland. And so is this when you come back? Yeah, from the jungle. So and, and imagine how much weight did you lose? Louis? I, I, like I lost twelve kilograms. So I mean, I was I was like. 72 kilogram I was stick there uh, and then you kind of your body's trying to you know um, repair and recover yeah. but it's like no 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 the train doesn't stop it keeps going then you you talk more uh, more skills uh, and more resistance to interrogation training and then you're out on the run for five days and for me it was in Wales and your body's absolutely fucked your feet everything is is, is hanging and you're moving you know through the night you're being chased by a hunter force it's similar to the show and yeah. all that kind of stuff and then eventually you get caught after five days and and it's just stress stress positions there's 36 hours that you that you that you're um, exposed to interrogation and you know, by professional interrogators mm. and for me that was the, I think the biggest because it's not spoken about. It was the biggest sort of yeah. shock. So and, the and interrogation. Give me an example when someone catches you. Then they put, is it like the show? They put a bag over your yeah, head and they're. Do you know what? I think I think the show gives you a good a good kind of idea. Good flavour. Yeah. It gives you a very flavour. But I mean, it's dramatised, right? It's 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 supposed to be that way for television, and and it's and it, uh, no. when you do when you do it properly. <laughs> It's fucking horrific, yeah. you know, it, and they fuck with your mind. It's like it will turn you inside out, back to front, and get you like you. You think that you it's real, you, you know. You you're that tired, um, you know that sleep deprivation deprivated that that mal malnourished the, and you, you've just got nothing left, you know. You're fully in beer, <laughs> and it's like you've. That's why it becomes so difficult that last phase. I'm not, I know when I finished that phase, I was like, I didn't want to speak to anybody. 
like I was done. I was just like, I shut off from the world. I was like people trying to talk around me and having come out of that. Wow. And I was just like, stop talking. I just like, I don't want to hear another sound. Like I want to be in my own head for a bit. But I, I want to know, not, go on. I think you're not actually um, allowed to expose people to that level of training and, and resistance interrogation uh, f um, over a certain period. So you can't keep doing that yeah. to people in terms of like mentally and physically to Louis's point. It's fucking horrendous. The mm. things that it does to you, you, you're hearing all sorts of things. You, you start to think it's real. Yeah. You, you know you're, you're on selection and training, but it the way that they create that the environment, you you start doubting everything and think, this is fucking real and you're you're hallucinating. You know, when you don't sleep for 36 hours, mm. people think, oh, come on, you must you must get some sleep. You do no, not yeah. fucking sleep and you you just become this. What, are you in a room? What is it? What, I don't want to go into visual, too, visual, too, much, no, too okay. much detail, but yeah. yeah, you are in room, you're in stress positions and you when you're not being interrogated, you know, and you have to be very careful with what you say and how you release information, but when you're not in there, you're in a stress position. Try and fucking sleep standing up. So give an example of a stress position. So standing up against, facing a wall yeah. with your feet, maybe a foot away from the wall yeah. and your hands leaned outstretched onto the wall. Yeah. If I can try and stand there for an hour, two hours. Okay. And then if you start moving, there are people around you getting you back into position. The next stress position is sat, this which is the worst one for me, was sat cross-legged on the floor with your hands on top of your head. Oh, you can't my. intertwine your fingers to release yeah. the pressure from your shoulders. It's hands on top, palm on top of the on top of the other hand, on top of your head, and a, a straight back with your with your uh, elbows flared out. Try and sit like that for longer than five minutes. It sounds like yoga, but it's not. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, shout out to all the yogis. Extreme yoga. <laughs> but, yeah. It, yeah, it's bad. So, I mean, yeah, it's like what you see on TV, but just times a fucking million. It's, well, like, yeah. it's absolutely horrific. And is that the point then when they go, right, now we're going to let you know whether you passed or not? After that, no, or is there still no, something else? Still past that phase, yes. Yeah, yeah um, past that phase. Hell. But you you've got yeah. a good gauge by then. Like Star said, yeah. usually you know that you, you probably fucked up, or, or yeah. unless you really, really fuck up badly. Mm. And then you've got some so counter-terrorism training, which weapons is more of the weapons and tactics, yeah, and just like fighting in rooms. So it's really testing kind of future soldier and just making sure that you're you're able to operate to a high level. Um, so it, yeah, it doesn't stop. I think that's like three weeks. If, like Probably more, like yeah. And then there's more training as well. And at the end of that, you are you are badged. They call it. You get your your new beret with your cap badge, your respective cap badge, whether that's uh, SAS or SBS, yeah. and the stable belt as well with the respective cap badge. Quality. Well. And, and get, then you join. And then you. And then at the end of that, you think, "Fucking hell, I'm, I'm nails. I've made. Yeah. It. I'm the man." And then you, and then you join the fucking service or the the unit and your squadron, and it's fucking snakes and ladders, isn't it? You're fucking. Back yeah. to the bottom again, okay. Uh, and then you actually start, you know, your your special forces journey in life, and then you go fuck. What you thought was the hardest thing, selection. Yeah. You then go fuck. That was actually just setting you up for life in special forces. Wow. So let's move on to the special forces. Then, where did you first two meet? So uh, I want to say it was must have been like two thousand six. Two thousand six. It was. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, we we both. Joined the Marines at different times. Uh, I was a little bit before Stas. Um, I'd gone and served somewhere up in Scotland in the Marines, and then we ended up both joining the same unit. So it was 40 Commando down in Taunton, Somerset. And um, Stas was new into the um, into the company, the into, company. Into the tr troop in the yeah. company, and um, we kind of just hit it off. Um, I guess we just we, we just had similar similar kind of 
look on life and perspectives and I guess the, I took stars under my wings. Yeah, so from my perspective, I was looking around, new guy. I'd just passed yeah. out of training, joined, and, and we were going on to um, mountain training up in Scotland, which is fucking horrific, with, with the Marines. And you kind of look, you, you do that naturally anyway. You yeah. kind of look for who's the fucking cool dude. I think you were like a Lance Corporal at the time, and yeah. he was a fucking cool dude, nice guy as well. You know, mm. when you join these places, there's a little bit of, you got to earn your spurs and your stripes within, you know, the, who's this new guy? He's just come out of Royal Marines training, and, you know, you're constantly being looked at and assessed, which is mm. fine. That's natural. So you kind of look for somebody to, to look up to and, and my person was Louis mm. you know and I remember coming in in the room that's nice yeah, that's yeah. nice like your mouth that changed no, no. no I, so I um, I remember going in and you remember we were we'd just been issued our kit for um, mountain training mm. uh, up in Scotland which is you know again horrendous but I remember walking down there's Louis. a theme going on here yeah, yeah I know. so I look at Louis nothing's changed horrendous, to be fair. horrendous. Yeah. but I looked at Louis and was like yeah he's, he's he looks fucking the part, you know, his, his stuff's really squared away. He, he looks really professional. And I remember going up to you and going, can you give me a hand with, I think you were sewing some Arctic socks onto the wristlets, which obviously helps with warmth and, mm. and doing your hood as well. You know, you used to put the um, the wire inside the hood and he just looked fucking cool. Mm. And I was like, that went cap in hand or yeah. ca jacket in hand. Yeah. Can you help me out yeah. with this? Yeah. And he was, you know, really good, really. Uh, and, and to lose point, we just hit it off and, and became, you know, quite really good friends from that. And let's start talking about going, on tours what tours did you go on Louis so I think the first one for that and we both went on this together as well it was it was an Afghanistan tour um but uh, it was up in Kabul for us so I guess that it it had all just kicked up the world had kicked off then and you know the middle Middle East was just a shit show so I guess that we're at 40 commando at the time got tasked with going out to, to Kabul to, to basically become a security element within within the city itself yeah. so we did that tour and it wasn't it wasn't a long tour for us that I think it was quite a short one but yeah. um, it you, was after you say short roughly how long was that a short story I only did uh, a short period a couple of months I okay. think but I was actually attached to a different company Charlie company um, so yeah, it was a short sort of period for me. Usually they're a six month tour that, that, that the guys deploy on. Mm. Yeah, so we did so we did that together, and I guess that it was it was very difficult for us at the time. And I know because the the rest of Afghanistan, as it was, was really really kicking off, and we were we were in a relatively safe space in Kabul you know yeah. it was it was rough but it wasn't Badlands which is down in the south of Afghanistan yeah. so and we wanted to be there you know as a soldier and you, you're a Royal Marine Commando it's like you want to be in the mixer but that was our task we had to we, we were in Kabul and we, we had a, a, a reasonably you know e easy if you can call it that deployment it yeah. wasn't it wasn't too it's was actually quite a nice introduction to to that world you mm. know you you fuck it you got to bear in mind as well uh, you're obviously a little bit older louis but i'm 21 22 mm. years old and the next thing you know you know all my life's been fucking mansfield and village and, yeah you know a bit of marines and you train and you're not a warmonger but it's like training to be a professional football you want to go and play yeah. you want the fucking matches you want the world cups and that's yeah. a world cup you go out and you don't know what to expect and and, and you remember everything your first contacts all these different things happening but um, to Louis' point, it was actually quite, it's westernised pretty much, Kabul, it was relatively safe, uh, you know, but I remember the first time I saw Special Forces um, and it was we were part of your rotation. If you weren't out, you know, doing the kind of um, overt force uh, stuff outside of the gates, you were manning the, the, the towers and uh, looking after the camp perimeter security. Mm. And part of that was the gate, the main gate that you would, uh, vehicles would ingress, egress out of. And I remember I was on the gate one day and kind of raw marines, so freshly shaved and kind of new dude. Everything's a fucking threat. And in roll two, uh, four, by, four by four vehicles. 
and out jump fucking eight dudes all wearing kind of jeans, approach shoes, flannel shirts, cases, different weapons, long hair, beards. They just look like fucking rock stars. Yeah. And I remember saying to one of the guys I was on the gate with like, who the fuck are these guys? And obviously they had the, the UK ID and all this kind of stuff and to get in. So we have to obviously let them in and they go. And I just remember looking at them in awe, like who the fuck are these superstars? Mm. And it was the SBS. Mm. So that was my sort of first introduction of actually seeing special forces you know, in the flesh and, yeah. and, uh, and out. And it was on a, an operational tour in Afghanistan. So that, for me, really spiked my interest into, into mm. Special Forces. And it was kind of, how do I become one of those guys? And that was what, 2003, 2004? 2006. 2006 that was, was it? Okay. And when was it when you were actually in the SBS, when you went back on tour again? I was 2008 on my selection. So um, summer 2008. Yeah. And then at the end of 2008, so beginning of 2009, I was badged. I joined my squadron. Yeah. And I went straight out onto fucking uh, operational tour. So I went straight into uh, into Kandahar and I went, uh, joined a, 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 an incredibly um, operationally intense time for the service. And it was everything I'd fucking dreamed of, everything that you thought Special Forces was and the games and the films that you see, the yeah. Call of Duty stuff. And I was... Uh, uh, again, so lucky, and I use that term, you know, mm. in, in hopefully in the correct context. I was lucky. The time when I joined and went on these tours, it was fucking phenomenal. It mm. was brilliant. Everything I'd kind of hoped that Special Forces was and more, I was delivered in that six-month period. Wow. It was so so busy, uh, but amazing as well at the same time. And don't get me wrong, it, there were some shit moments. We lost guys on that tour, mm. and, you know, especially at the end, it was a, a particularly bad end to the tour. But, yeah, it was it was brilliant. When you say busy... What does busy mean to you? It means you're out every day, every night. You know, generally speaking, our operations are uh, conducted uh, at night. So under our, um, uh, in our favour, essentially. But we were, there were, it was such a target-rich environment. There was so much badness out there. You know, you couldn't go out enough. You know, we didn't have enough people or enough assets, but you were constantly out, out, you know, hunting high-value target individuals, you know, really attacking that, that network from the top uh, all the way down, which also has an effect on the Green Army people that are out there as well. Yeah. You know, the guys that are being constantly hit by improvised explosive devices. Mm. We were going after the, you know, the factories and the makers and, and the head of the ah, network, okay. you know, so you could see that effect as well. And, yeah. But to, to your point, it was fucking busy. It was every night we were going out. For six bumps? Yeah. Wow. Were you on that tour, Louis? No, I wasn't. So yeah. I think we our paths, had, they always kind of came back and crossed each other. But I went to... I joined Special Forces Sport Group and I got promoted and a couple of times and then ended up doing doing that. So I did another tour with them. Yeah. Um, and then I guess two two years after Stars that I did then my selection process. So I think it was 2010, 2011 by the time I, I got to Pools, which is which is Special Boat Service. Yeah. So um so yeah, and and I got kind of some of the back end of that rock star years, you know. So it's like um, I, I had a good a, a good go of it, you know. It was, uh, but it's like when Stars joined, it was like all hell had broken loose, and I think uh, you know I got I got the tail end, which was which was great as again for my experience. And I did some other tasks in amongst my time in the service as well, which meant that I did more surveillance work and kind of like undercover jobs and stuff really? like that. So yeah. Give me an example of an undercover job. I knew you were going to start doing yeah. so, I mean, obviously, like, I've got to be really careful. Yeah. With some of the, and we have. The, like, the, the, and there's a sense of, like, um, respect that me and my, myself and Stas have to have to hold back a little bit on some of the stories yeah. that we tell and not embellish too much. So, because it's, um, you know, we, it, 
it's important for us to do yeah. that. So I guess that, yeah, there's, so there's, there's, there's different skill sets that you have when you become a special forces operator. And that can be, it's down to the individual, really. I mean, some people, Stas is a sharpshooter, right? So he's really good at weapon systems. He's, he's then become a, a sniper, you know, so, and uh, and demolitions and, and loads of other things that, mm. that are in there. So mine were, I was a patrol medic, so a trauma medic. Um, I was also a parachute jump instructor and, and things like that. So, I'm uh, sorry, PGI, not PGI, it's a, uh, parachute lead yeah. so basically you jump out of planes and you basically lead somebody to a target um, and other skill sets I had were, were surveillance and amongst a plethora of others you know and you're trying to keep on top of these skill sets at different times but yeah there was a few wow a few tell me about that one you just mentioned there about the trauma so it's it's really quite high level you know so um, I mean you can have a medic like a paramedic yeah. for example so you you were similarly trained to a paramedic but bearing in mind that paramedic on a day-to-day -day basis might go to deal with I don't know somebody that's got um, having a stroke or concussion or mm. pregnancy or somebody delivering a baby or whatever else yeah. you know and there's some there's probably some big trauma things that happens car crashes but when you're a special forces medic it's like pound to a pinch of shit you're going to see somebody with a leg blown up or, or you know there, there's been shot and you have to deal with that so um you're trained to a very high level and you're able to administer a lot of drugs that you wouldn't be able to as you know as a normal medic so it's it's yeah, it's high level stuff wow i must, I must have seen some awful things yeah I, do you know what we, we have but i think it's like the the I don't feel like I've been uh, I've been tarnished by any of it. I think that I've that anything that I've seen or experienced in my time in the military, I've I've, I've dealt with in a reasonably good manner. I hope so, anyway. Unless somebody turns around and goes, "Actually, you're pretty cray cray," but I think, yeah. I think I'm all right. <laughs> yeah. you know? and some people do struggle with it, you know, and, and that's and that's fair. You get it, you know. It's dependent on the scenario and how, and how and the severity of the scenario, your individual experience at the time. But I think for for the most part, I've been I've been, I've been okay. And yeah. it's just for, for context as well Dodge for the people thinking well why is Stas a sniper or demolitions yeah. and why yeah. is Louis a fucking medic and yeah. doing surveillance and when the, the way that the kind of squadrons are made up again without going into too much detail the guys are absolute force multipliers you're like a fucking Swiss army knife of yeah. an individual and you're constantly training retraining and you know we're swimmer canoeists we are so we dive um, operationally dive to targets we can all parachute um I was in mobility troop. I think Louis was the same. So each troop, we've got, you know, got different troops and mobility is everything um, vehicle orientated. That's a big kind of army, up armored vehicles. We have to understand the, the vehicles, instruct on them, know how to operate them, drive them, all the way down to a quad and a motorbike, you know, and all the different uh, in-service vehicles. And then within that, you've got your patrol skills. So you'd be, a, I was demolition. So, you know, think blowing the fucking doors off places and, get, and, and allowing guys yeah. to get entry into the various different complex um, uh, buildings or, or uh, compartments. And then, um, again, everybody's trained to a, a high level of a medic, but Louis was that next level of medic. Yeah. So you imagine we're out on the ground, we're a small footprint uh, of people, maybe, you know, maybe 40 to whatever, however many people, but each guy there can call in, you know, other people can call in fucking fast air and jets. You've got people that are trained to a high level if people are injured. You've got people that can, you know, demolitions. You've got people that can shoot. Everybody's a shooter first and foremost. You're an assaulter, a building assault guy, mm. but you have specialist skills and they really complement the whole, the whole group. Mm. Uh, and this bubble that you're in, is, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. You are absolutely, you know, force multipliers. Mm. So if you're going into an operation stairs, tell me what you would be wearing um again so you'd set up from the base in its basic form you would set up as a as a, an assaulter as a door kicker so you'd have your uh, your cache on so your ballistic 
plate carrier case that stops it stops the bullets yeah. uh, on top of that you would have your uh, radio you'd have all your ammunition so your magazines and ammunition uh, you would have medical kit and equipment on you I would then carry a, a bag well every, most guys carry a, a backpack and that would be specific to uh, more uh, to your patrol skill so for demolitions for me it would have lots of demolitions and explosives in there for different things for different jobs and different uh, Demolitions it can cover something from blowing a small lock off a door, which is obviously you know light touch, small mm. explosive. To shit, we found a load of weapons uh, or, or drugs. You need to destroy all that, so you have big slabs of PE and, and, and explosives. PE, uh, plastic explosive. Okay. Um, and then you know, Louis would, would be like medical stuff. Other guys would again, and then imagine all these different people sort of. Uh, running in and then you'd have all your weapon systems you'd have a, a pistol you'd have a, an assaulting rifle on you that has all your lasers your sighting systems on there you know you'd have then your helmet you'd have your protective uh, uh, reactive ear defense on you'd have your night vision goggles on top of that uh, and then in your pockets you'd have things like tourniquets you'd have uh, and then all your water uh, ra emergency rations depending on how long the mission was you'd have you'd have yourself set up differently depending mm. on what the, the job was but if you were in a helicopter flying to a target landing on and it's just a it's a, a a a land on and and straight into the into the hail of bullets kind of uh, mission or it's a, a high value target mission you'd generally configure yourself quite light and fast but mm. if you're in a mobility operation where you're working around vehicles or in the vehicle then again you would be set up slightly differently depending mm. on where you are and, and then your weapon would be slightly different you have mm. a longer barrel etc etc so give me an example if you're going in with a helicopter jumping off helicopter boys are landing in dealing with the job have you got a time limit on that are you going right lads we need to be out of here in seven minutes or is there a time limit or you just Sometimes. get the job done and then we're all clocking each other let's get back on the job right now depend on, on 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 the mission and what the task was but generally speaking you your time on target would also come into effect in terms of uh daylight again if we're you know sometimes we were out all fucking night you know and it and you know, no plan survives first contact, and you know you, you go out on missions, and and invariably things happen. You know, and and different then different priorities you know take precedent, and and that would then um, I guess you go out with a plan. This is what we're going to do. We're yeah. going to fly from here to there. Do what we need to do. Mission success looks like this. If we get that, and that timeline could be ten minutes. It could be fucking ten hours, and then the extraction is here. Wow. And that's kind of generally speaking what you do. You plan everything to most likely course of action, but then you have some most dangerous courses of action sort of mm. planned in there as well. So it, it is very different and depends on kind of where you are, what you're doing and what the mission is. Mm. Louis, say if one of your mates got blown up, lost a leg, what's the first thing you do when you go over to him? If I, I'm trying to remember remember back mm. to my medic days now, but you've got to assess the danger basically. So you look for other danger rather than looking for actually, look, he's in trouble. It'd be like, is there any danger to me actually oh. coming a cropper as well? But then the second, I mean, at the same time, I say that that's the first yeah. thing you're supposed to do, but really the priority is, is he okay? Mm. Can I get him into cover? So it's like, you might have to drag him out into a place where he's safe and then start to deal with it. So it's, yeah, it's... um. It's all, yeah, it's all hands on. Yeah. So what is it? Wrap, listen, I'm, this is not my world, but wrap the leg up, stop the blood. What are you injecting in? Have you got different medicines yeah. you inject in to calm in? What? It, it depends on on the injury. So yeah. I guess that from experience, I mean, like in dealing with a gunshot wound, for yeah. example, you'd have to apply a tourniquet. So a tourniquet is to stop the blood going to the, to the end of the limb, for example, and then you would need to stop the pain. So you'd... 
have to give them some like oromorph or in this case of fentanyl i think it is yeah. um, so you give them some fentanyl drag them into cover and then begin to treat them so probably losing a lot of blood so they have to put fluids into them and then it's getting them out so it's like you can only do so much as a patrol medic yeah. if you're in the middle of fucking nowhere it's like you've got to treat him for that initial wound and try and keep him alive for the next hour but really there's a golden hour you know you need to get him from there to the low to the nearest hospital in that hour you yeah. know and if not he's he's probably fucked you know he's yeah. either going to lose his leg or he's going to die and, yeah. and you've got to bear in mind as well to lose point that whole it's what's currently happening and what's the priority yeah. you know and the mission is the fucking priority yeah. and it's usually under a fucking hail of bullets and shit's going off and the rest of the team then will carry on with their mission you know and, and, and with the goal in mind while you know the or the medic or whoever's dealing with that casualty gets them into a safe place gets them into a comfortable position and then hopefully you know the, the mission is a success and then we then everything kind of turns back towards sort of casualty evacuation at that point Wow. And yourself, Stas, what tour were you on when you got the Gallantry Medal from the Queen? Yeah, so I um, received the CGC, Conspicuous Gallantry Cross, and yep. uh, every one of my tours has been different as well, which has been brilliant, um, from sort of door-kicking, conventional, like smash, brilliant, high-value target missions, and then a mobility operation way out in the desert, like Mad Max style. And, and then for my last tour, I went to, uh, to Kabul. So obviously the first ones were like Kabul as well, and some other ones in between that, but... I then actually ended up back in Kabul, working quite an, an autonomous role uh, with some other partner forces uh, and another special forces group. And I fucking love that tour. But anyway, um, there's two specific jobs that mm. I got the medal for. Uh, and so it was kind of wrote up for two. One had a really kind of um, strategic and political uh, impact and role in terms of uh, the size of a, an improvised explosive device attack that was planned in the city in Kabul, which would have had devastating effect on on uh, a specific NATO base, but also would have unsettled the whole um, area as well. So, and I was being watched by all the Five Eyes nations, all the other special forces nations, a lot of pressure on that job to to to, to execute and, and, and provide mission success for that. So that was one job. And in short, there's obviously a little bit more more mm. to it uh, and more intricacy. Uh, and then the next one was, again, working with another part of the force. I kind of stormed a, a little position that two guys were with on my own. And um, so it was, it was a couple of jobs and, and bits and pieces. But look, every night and every day, guys were going out and, you know, and, and doing these kind of missions, you know. And there's a little bit of, um, a little bit of luck and, and as to who gets recognised because... Mm. The things that the guys are doing, you know, day to day or were doing day to day is fucking extraordinary. But it's strange in special forces. It's kind of, I felt a bit weird receiving it because you, you, it's your fucking job, right? Yeah. You, that's what you sign up for. So yeah. to receive recognition is a bit weird. Yeah. You kind of, with, and Brits are generally like that. You're like, mm. oh, I don't really want to, oh, can we not? Mm. You know what I mean? But we're not very good I at I know you're no. playing this down. Yeah. Because you and I spoke a lot about this. You're playing this down. And we'll, go, we'll move on to that. We'll do a whole story on that one because mm. that's a, an amazing story now you're definitely playing it down yeah. but what you did and with your team around you was pretty phenomenal yeah yeah and um what year was that 2013 yeah. yeah and you mentioned there was five countries in nato in there what were those countries the forces checking me now isn't it so you've got us yeah um australia new zealand uh help me out louis um, <laughs> a long time ago now yeah i don't know yeah okay i'll be pulling it out my ass yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, too much fucking overpressure, demolition brain, mate. My memory is, <laughs> is, is shot now, but uh, yeah. And what was that feeling like when you got back and that award was given to you? Was it going up to where were you? Where did you go and receive it? 
Oh, so I went actually. I went up to um, receive that medal from the Queen. Mm. God bless her. Massive respect. Yeah, it's good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was it was it was um, at Windsor Castle. So it was yeah. a really intimate um, uh, par- like parade or ceremony. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was sort of an out of body experience. It was standing in front of the Queen, and she had to, obviously she gets the, the the heads up just as you're walking yeah. up from her um, um, her sidekick, just sort of saying, "Look, oh, it's just." Uh, Couple stars occur. Yeah. He's, he's done this, and she's already read the citation. A citation is what's passed forward from your bosses to say, look, uh, on this day, on this, this is what Stas did. Uh, these couple of missions, and this is why we think he's deserving of some form of recognition. Now they don't say we think he deserves a military cross or a mm. conspicuous gallantry cross. They just say, look, we think this guy for what he's done and the impact that it's had, he's deserving of national recognition. And then it goes to a board. They all sit round from all the different um, uh, units, uh, from Navy, Army, and RAF, and all these places that, that the kind of bigwigs. And they sit round and go, they read it, a little mm. short story, and go, "Okay, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's that's a, a military cross, or yeah. that's deserving of a Victoria cross, or yeah. that's deserving of a, a conspicuous country cross." So I went in Windsor Castle. It was a beautiful day. Took my family up there and had a really intimate sort of ceremony with the Queen, who then sort of. Um, sort of satellites round and, and gives you sort of you know a couple of minutes with your family and speaking, which was which was Lovely. beautiful, which was really nice. Lovely. And when was the point, lads, when you got together again? Right, we've got to start thinking about our futures here. I say that in a, not our futures, but there's only so long you can stay in the uh, special services, right? Special forces, sorry. Yeah. Only a certain amount of time. You actually think, get to the point going. I need to start thinking about civilian life. What am I going to do after this? You've got to think about the next chapter. Yeah. So I guess I guess whilst you're in there, you don't you, you don't really unless something significant happens. You know, you, either you've come to the, the end of your time, which is usually 22 years, or in my, but like for my case, and the kind of what kicked it off for us for leaving was I, I was coming to the end of my career because I had a medical discharge, so I had some kind of significant issues with my my lower spine, and it was like something that it was kind of dragging me down, and I couldn't do my job to the to the fullest capacity you know so um it I, I got to a decision point where it's like i could stay in but it would mean that i was doing a desk job so at the time i was uh, i was an acting color sergeant and you know my job at the time was to kind of make sure that the administration was done for the guys and the training environments and everything else but it, what it meant was that actually you're no longer a, a door kicker um you know you're not you, you're not going to be on the ground actually sh- shooting shit and blowing yeah. shit up you're going to be you know organizing everything so it's like that's okay, but it's like, that's not what you're trying to do, you know? So it was like, okay, I've got a choice here. Like, I stay and do something that's not going to set my soul on fire, or or we've got an opportunity to leave and, and start a new chapter. And um, I must have been 36, 37, I think, something like that. So you're still young, right? Yeah. So, and and arguably, you've, your body's been through the ringer, right? So yeah. it's like in special forces, you you know, it takes its toll, you know, it's like most people's like back, Benjamin Button, aren't most we? people's hanging. backs <laughs> yeah. are, are like blown out, yeah. legs, knees, whatever else. And lots of guys have been shot more than once. And, you know, it's like, it's, you get to that point where you just probably feel a little bit tired and, and it's like, you know, when it, it feels like the time. So it was the time mm. for, for me. So with it, then we started to throw some ideas around, you know, so usually the guys go into security and, and security is good, right? It's, it's like well-paid jobs, you know, when you, you might be looking after somebody, some, somebody's high profile, you know, somebody that's a famous actor or whatever else you get these, you know, because of your skill sets, you're offered some, quite unique jobs at that point when you leave yeah. so um so that's the the obvious thing but again it didn't really for me instead it's like you it doesn't really set your soul on fire yeah. you know it's you end up being a bag carrier and you know you're looking after somebody else where they're off doing something really fucking exciting mm. and, and we've done some exciting jobs yeah. you know so um so that's the usual usual kind of 
train train track that you go down when you leave the forces and then me and Star started bouncing around this idea it's like we've always been kit pests you know and I, I use the terminology I steal this from my missus but it's like look good feel good go yeah. good like we like to look the part you know and if you don't look good you don't you, you don't feel like you can do your job yeah. properly at least yeah. that's the way it is for me it's like I like to look and feel like I'm I'm ready to go you know I'm ready to to do my job so we've always been like that, like making sure that we've got the best kit and the best equipment and, and looking alley, as we call it. So there's some military terminology. It basically means you look cool as fuck. Yeah. So, and <laughs> and then we were like, well, some of this kit that we're wearing, it's the, the best kit you can possibly get. You know, it's really high expensive kit. And special forces, you get everything thrown at you. You know, mm. it's, they don't, they don't scrimp and scrape. And we still found fault with it. So it's like the, the, the fabrics weren't as good as we were expecting and the zips didn't work or just wasn't built to last or built to do the job that we were doing. So quite naively, me and Staz were like, maybe we can have a go at this. How yeah. hard can it be? Yeah. yeah. And what year was that? 2016, 17 was when 16, 17. About it. And you both, when, when did you leave Staz? Yeah, same time. Same, same time. time. Very similar to Louis. You kind of, for me, the wind was out of my sails. I'd ticked all these boxes. I'd had a really fucking good career. And Special Forces is is incredible. And I'm super thankful for all the, the you know, the connections and meeting everybody and the opportunity that, mm. it's, that it's given me as an individual. Mm. Super fucking thankful. But uh, yeah, I'd reached that time in 13 years. I didn't see myself probably similar to Louis doing another nine years, you know, and then again, moving into those more sort of training role jobs and stuff. So we had to make that decision. Um, and uh, yeah, for me personally, it was the right time. It was time yeah. to leave. But actually we were jumping, uh, parachute jumping yeah. out in Blythe and just outside of uh, sort of California way, isn't it, in the desert. And again, doing all these sort of parachute bits and pieces and jumping and there's one coffee shop, I think, in the, in the whole small town, the Starbucks. And we were sort of sat in there and talking about what that would kind of look like and then actually do you know what if we're going to do this let's let's fucking plan this properly and let's and there are some transferable skills you know clearly from the military but also from special forces and what are we good at where are our strengths where are you know where, where are our weakness let's identify those and let's plan this like we would a military operation or a job and let's put pen to paper and you know when we sort of eventually left and actually louis left slightly before me and there's a couple of other good stories which mm. we can dive into in terms of what louis did and where he went mm. uh, while i was just sort of transitioning out of the military as well and we kind of had a long-term borrow whiteboard from the military and my then uh, at the time uh, front room and we were just sort of brainstorming bits and pieces in terms of what the business and what through dark would look like mm. for both of us and what that would entail and the vision i guess from that point mm. So just give us an idea, I'll pick up on what you said there. What were you doing for those sort of year or so? You've got some stories there of when you left. <laughs> Trying to get my fingers in, in pies, you know. Uh, I, and I, I do look back on that period as being quite lost as well because it's like, it's so like, you've, yeah. like I, I use the analogy of being like, because it's easy for people. It's like being a professional footballer, right? And that's yep. your world and that's all you're allowed to do. sleep, train. Yeah, yep. that's all you're allowed to do. Yeah. Then you get to this point where you're like, you, you, you're retired essentially from, from, from what you do for a living. This is what you do. This is what you've spent your whole life training mm. to do. You have, yes, you've got this transferable skill sets, but this is your job. You know? mm. It's like, what else do you do apart from security when you get outside? So, um, I guess that I started to to learn. It's like, okay, well, if I'm going to do something different, then I, then I need to be knowledgeable knowledgeable about it. So the military actually, some ways are quite good. So they offer you opportunities where it's like, okay, you've got, um, you can go away and and relearn basically. So you you get time to do that. I went away, went away and did a business course at the time because I thought it's it's going to be useful. So it was a short short period. 
Um, six weeks spent up in, in Bristol, I think it was, something like that, But um, and learned the basic fundamentals of how to run a business and a lot of the numbers-based things and, and, and structural and, and, and kind of those. It gave me a, a good overarching view on how. Uh, and then the other thing I did is uh, I did a two weeks work experience in a factory that makes clothing. Mm. So uh, this place had been pressed and I went and worked there for two weeks trying to learn inside out from the bottom up, like how a garment is made. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of process driven. So it's like I'm, I have to understand the way that things work from the from the top to the bottom mm. for me to be able to to put an input into it you know i like it mm. i like it i like the way things work so that was important for me to do so yeah spend a bit of a period doing that and then kind of researching a lot a, a lot of ways of how we could make clothing and i like i wasn't sleeping like i was like i was i became obsessed again with yeah. with okay well this is now the new yeah the new thing for me it's like i have to know it inside out i've got to be able to get a grip of this and this this there's no ifs buts or maybes we're going to make this work yeah. so yeah and you went to china as well which yeah is, which is worth mentioning so so i mean uh, bearing in mind i was still employed by the military at this right at this point and you, there's certain countries that you're just not supposed to go to yeah. you know it's because they're on the red, a, a red list or blacklist yeah. just just don't go there so i was like yeah okay well look looking at labels and clothing and yeah. like doing my research that way going a lot of this stuff is made in china in the far east you know for the vast the vast majority of it so i found this uh this convention that kicks off in china like it's once a year in guangzhou so i was like you know what i'm just going to get my balls in my hands and i'm going to go so i just jumped on this flight to china you know long haul um got to china it's fucking big right i mean it's um like i've been to big countries like, yeah. you know i've been to america I've been, I've been, yeah. i'm pretty well traveled yeah. but then you get to china and it's a whole new fucking ball game <laughs> like wow so jumped on a bus and like went through the from Hong Kong um, into Guangzhou and this convention is like the biggest kind of venue I've ever seen. It's like I don't know. It's like a hundred football pitches of like of warehouse space with all of these stalls of different clothing companies offering the, the everything to, yeah. to you. You know, we're the best at this. We're, mm. we're the best at that. And we're nobody's at this point. You know, and, and no one gives a fuck. I'm special forces either. Yeah. No one gives yeah. a fuck. <laughs> I've got absolutely zero credibility, and that's what's so difficult. You go from from having all the credibility yeah. in this kind of this bubble that you've lived in for so long and now you're nobody, yeah. you know, it's like you're starting, starting from scratch. You've got so, no currency, have you? Mm. So, um, yeah, it was very difficult and and, I, and and we kind of found a few loose contacts where we thought, you know, we all can got super excited quite naively and thinking, yeah, this is going to work and what watches, we're going to smoke it. And then, Anyway, we got the first, I came back from China, all excited to start, like, yeah, look, we've, we've like, I've nailed it. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're in the right place. business cards. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at it. I've got a clue who anyone is. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Quality. Just, just <laughs> throwing throw the corn out and just seeing if it worked. And I guess that Good for it, you. It, it, it was for, for a short period yeah. until we first got our first samples back. And it was just like, wow, we couldn't have been so far wrong. Yeah, you know? so, it was yeah. just terrible quality. Yeah. And just like me and Stas have set out with this expectation of, of we have to be the best at what we do, yeah. you know? It's like we relentless pursuit of excellence, which is the, a special forces ethos. It's like ingrained in yeah. us. It's like we have to be the best. Mm. We want to be the best. And we're so hard on ourselves if we don't achieve mm. it. It's like, and it just wasn't. It was fucking chip shop. It but you're like, dealing with China. Yeah. Like when I was doing, built the sportswear brand, which we exited after eight years, we were dealing with China. All of a sudden, like, 
I can't deal with China. Mm. Where else can we go? We ended up in Lithuania because mm. the language barrier is easy to fly in. It just made everything a lot, lot easier. Because yeah. like you say, we were dealing with China, Pakistan, India. They're coming back and the garments weren't good enough. It's mm. like, hold on, attention to detail is rubbish. You were, and the language barrier. So that's yeah. probably a really, a really good move. But just for, the stu- just for the listeners here, how would you explain Through Dark? So it's a high-performance outerwear brand. Um, it's technical. Um, it's, um, it's capable for outdoor like activities a plethora of those you know so and it's aspirational um i mean it's uh i, I use the terminology as well it's like um, go hard go home go, go hard or go home go anywhere and go everywhere yeah equipment that's that's the way i would call it and where did the name through dark come from Stas? so I guess when you naively at the time when you start a business, it's kind of one of those most important things. Like, you know, what's the logo going to mm. be? And you get consumed by the name, and, mm. and rightly so, it deserves yeah. that time. It absolutely does. But um, and the logo as well. And we went through a branding process. But before that branding process, with a, with a friend of ours, Joe, um, we came up with the concept and we had the idea of what we wanted it to look like. So sort of before we get into that, we kind of to Louis's point, we wanted to be the best of what we did, and we looked at the, com- the market and the competitors, and it was like, okay, we want to be super technical up here, yeah. but we also want to look different like that yeah you know and nobody's doing it and also nobody had done this from our background before nobody had left special forces and we had the mocking laughs and the you know people that you fought or your fucking friends yeah, sort mate. of almost looking at you going you're doing what yeah why are you not just fucking cracking on and yeah. go moving into these well-paid mm. um uh, close protection jobs and bits and pieces and what you're doing a fashion brand they mm. just couldn't understand it or get it but that's fine because as long as me and louis knew no, yeah. what the fucking vision was and the mission and we fucking stayed true to that and mm. it's funny looking back at that that whiteboard and that vision that we did we've still got the photo i'll show you after the yeah. photo of that and it's not too fucking far off yeah, and, and and we were passionate about that but for through dark itself, it has a couple of meanings. One was, you know, in the military and special forces, we always operated, you know, in, in the darkness at nighttime. So operating through the dark. Mm. So that was a kind of military nod back to what we used to do in our in our previous work. But also, it was about going through dark times and going through difficult moments. Yeah. And and everybody experiences that those moments at, at different varying points in their life and to different degrees. And it's, it was about that sort of element. So it kind of tied in nicely. And our our kind of mantra, our strap line underneath through dark is endeavor through adversity. Yeah. And again, that leads into everything that we've done in our lives, you know, um, everybody experiencing adversity and, and pushing through that and, and finding the beauty and the joy and that growth in the adversity for mm. us was huge, a huge part. And, and Louis touched on it there as well about being aspirational. We wanted the brand to, to be super technical, to be the best outdoor brand, but we wanted to just fucking carve our own path, you know, and most outdoor brands, if you remove their logo, they all look the fucking same. same. Yeah. We've been up to fucking all these festivals and yeah. all these different places and it's just... It's um, it's kind of lightweight down jackets, everything from pink to yellow to fucking purple. Yeah. And they all look the fucking same. They don't really have their own identity. And mm. we were kind of, and they're all heading on this motorway in, in this, generally in the same direction. They're all in the lanes. They've got the distance and it's all a bit boring. And through dark for us was like, no, no, no. We were shaking it we're, up. We're fucking yeah. heading in this in that yeah. direction, but we're over here. We're yeah. off piste. You know, we're in, the, we're in a June buggy and we're just our Baja truck and we're just, whoa, mm. just going across and we jump back on and jump off. And we're doing it under our <laughs> terms and it's authentic it's credible mm. it's real you know we have, between us we've got 27 years combined you know military service mm. and actually we, we do know it but sometimes you forget you know the level um and 
the things that we've learned in all these different environments from you know the desert to the jungle to uh, the, the snow conditions to you know Scotland is its own fucking climate isn't it all these places we'd operated and thrived in and we'd gain valuable knowledge and insight uh, from wearing all these different clothing uh, brands and we we thought fuck you know what we can actually apply our credibility and our knowledge into something and make it look and feel and smell and taste mm. different to anything else that's out there and if we you know, push this brand with the passion that we have done in terms of our military career, you know, at least we'll be true to ourselves and we'll fucking smash it out of the mm. park. Like it. Really like it. And you're definitely doing that. Mm, thank you. Where are you, when you first started, where did you get the investment from to set up the brand? Was it you two involved? Was someone else involved? How many were there of you? Yeah, so I guess me and Staz, in the first instance, I mean, we'd... We had we had a bit of money, but it, there wasn't much, you know. We had everything we got, so I think we sold our motorbikes and we were like, right, how much can we muster together? And it was like, we, we'd already started down that track of going, okay, well, let's just see if if we've got enough to start this. And we didn't. Roughly, um, roughly how much? I think it was about 50 grand, I think. It was our own money that we, were like, yeah. we, we put in. And yeah. we were like, like, let's just see if we can start to do this ourselves. And it quite quickly became apparent that, you know, we were, we were going to run out of cash yeah. very quickly, you yeah. know. It's like... And it's you know without selling your house and, and and everything else, which which could have been could have been the option, probably the next step for us. With that, you know, that would have been the next step. So, um, but I think we we kind of knew a few local guys that we we got chatting to, and and it came the other way actually. I think that um, they were interested more in like what me and Stas were going to do on the outside. So. I think you probably want to tell, tell yeah, the story. Yeah, so we were, uh, you know, friends with, you, you know, Steve Clark, a local, yeah, Steve uh, Clark, very yeah. successful businessman. Yeah. And I was introduced to him sort of early days. We became very, you know, very good friends. And, you know, we would drink in the local uh, pub. That was a kind of local haunt mm. uh, for the guys. So we were always crossing paths, having dinner and drinks. And I guess all good f fucking plans are formulated at about oh, 10 pints deep, aren't they? But he, you know... <laughs> yeah. So I was friends with Steve and Louis was introduced and, you know, we were always together, me and Louis anyway, you know, we joined at the hip and we were in the pub again and, you know, but we, now we were on the path and the track of Thrudark, that consumer, that was everything for us. So yeah. every sort of second we were consumed with Thrudark and what it would look like and we were always talking about the plans and, you know, and Steve sort of overheard us probably over dinner sort of talking about Thrudark and he was kind of like, guys, you're leave you have you left when you're leaving? Yeah. What, what are your plans? And at this point, we didn't, we kind of knew Steve and what he did, but didn't really know yeah. that he was an investor in bits and pieces. Mm. And he sort of said, look, guys, this, I fucking think you, you might be onto something here. I really like your idea, but more importantly, I like you two. Mm. I like you, Stas, and I like you, Louis, mm. and I like what you're about. And he sort of, I guess he was just kind of thinking, do you know what, you, you might be onto something here. So let's speak tomorrow. He, I can remember him saying <laughs> for dinner and uh, saying, okay, meet me tomorrow, guys, obviously away from the pub and uh, come and show me your business plan. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no problem, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. End of the night. Like Louis, have you got a business plan? <laughs> back of a fag packet yeah. but we met him the next day yeah. and we sort of, we didn't bluff him we said look we're, we're not about that you know lose the business course here's a rough outline of what the business is about and where yeah. we want it to what we want it to be but look you, when you and for, for investors out there they generally speaking they're investing into an idea and into people they're investing and, investors in, invest into the entrepreneurs exactly that's what they invest in they yeah. can work out the rest and you can be taught the rest, isn't it? Yeah, it's the exactly attitude, that. yeah. And I think looking back now, we're sort of six years in, we've had the best sort of business course that, that anybody can have, yeah. you know, to go through that process and, and be, you know, taken in you know, by, by Steve. So Steve joined in um, and 
invested an initial uh, pot of money. Yeah. So we had something to work with in terms of funds. Uh, but to Louis's point, fuck it, very quickly just starts running out. But, you know, we had ideas and everything else. But, you know, Steve took us under his wing. He gave us an office space. So we moved out of the front room into a really small office building at Link House in Pool. Yeah. So we're on the top floor, uh, probably half the size of this room yeah. that we're in right now. And we were, we were off to the races, you know, we've got a, a computer between us and, and, and a couple of little shelves. And, yeah. you know, and then we had three products that we were focusing on and, and a little bit of T-shirts and off-the-shelf stuff and caps. And, and fucking hell, you're spinning plates, aren't you? You're yeah. doing everything. Lads, it must have been so weird from being on the outdoors for all these years, all of a sudden going into an office space. But I just want to roll a little bit further back there. Where were you getting the products from? And what products? You said you had three products then. Where were you actually getting from? What country were they coming in from? That's a good point. Yeah, so I guess we'd had all the failings and we tried loads of different kind of avenues really to get stuff made, whether that, you know that's the Far East and other options in the UK, which was just difficult, right? Because everything in manufacturing in the UK, which still happens, you know, but we're not this, this kind of huge industrialized kind of um, country anymore. You know, mm. we don't, we don't, make clothing so it's all very knife and fork and i mean that when i, when I say that i mean that it's like it's not technically very capable yep. you know it's it's very simple mm. so we started looking at other opportunities and i guess a lot of research you know it's like the internet nowadays it's like you can just you can do anything you know mm. it's like it's so it's such a good tool to be able to do research so trying to look for people that could help us out and different designers. We, we'd asked somebody to design some, to help us design some clothes at one point. And it, again, it just came back and it was flat, right? It was just like, you're not getting what me and Staz have got in our heads. Like we've got this super ambitious kind of idea for what we want to do with the brand. And it's got to be like the best. Mm. Um, and then we found this guy um, and he's, he, he's, his name's Jeff Griffin. And he, he he's, uh, he's a fashion designer. Right. So he's worked for some huge brands in the past, like Diesel and like he's got his own brand called Griffin. He's worked for Converse and and other things, but it's heavily fashion orientated. But we were still like, OK, well, let's let's at least try and get in contact with this guy and get get some kind of advice and guidance. So he's got this place down in uh, in Cornwall, Bude, and uh, it's called Loveland Farm. So me and Staz were like, right, OK, it's, it's let's see, we jump in the car. It was, a, it was actually a a works car at the time I think so we shouldn't have had it but. <laughs> so drove down to Cornwall um, rocked up at the in the middle of middle of fucking nowhere mm. right you've got to go Cornwall's bad anyway for travelling yeah. isn't it so mm. all down these tiny little roads and got to this place and it's a farmhouse right so we were like are we in the right place and I was like yeah, yeah we're here so we knocked on this door and nothing dogs barking okay somebody must be in and this guy came to the door and it was kind of kind of what we expected, but not what we expected. Jeff Griffin, big, big guy, like six foot five or whatever, big beards, one tooth missing. He's wearing one flip flop and the, other, the dog's got his, his like spe spectacles in his house, well, yeah. in, in his mouth. And you're like, <laughs> wow, I wasn't expecting this. And and Jeff's just this like he's such a like character like he's he's not he's not of this world so first thing he wants to do is introduce us to his pigs so he's like let me take you boys down the garden it takes us down there and he's showing us around this Loveland farm thing he's got big domes eco retreat, like, an eco retreat yeah. right so people go and stay mm. there but um, so he's like, here's my pigs. This is my, my two buffaloes. Water buffalo. Yeah. Chinese water yeah. buffalo. So, yeah. Chinese. <laughs> mad. Mad. Yeah. Me and Staz are just looking at each other going, okay, is this guy taking acid or something? Yeah. I, don't <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And can I have some? I need some. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> so just crazy. And anyway, so Jeff, final bit. Jeff kind of pulls it into like his office space, which is like there's there's stuff everywhere. You know, there's there's design ideas on the wall, bits of jacket everywhere. And he was like, okay, run me through it. What do you guys want to do? So we, we pitched to him, and like we thought, we thought it went really well. We were like, okay, we pitched it, we pitched it in our way, and we're really enthusiastic. We've got this great idea, and J Jeff's just like so unreactive. He's like so flat, and he's just like mm. just umming and ahhing, and sort of saying, "Look, guys, like this is difficult. Yeah, like, this is a very a difficult, very business, yeah. difficult world yeah. that you're just about. Are you fucking sure? Yeah. You know what? One, what you're getting yourself into, and two, are you ready for it? Are you fucking prepared mentally yeah. for what you're about to and do? And the amount of cash you're going to burn. Yeah, yeah, and and and. And Jeff was brilliant. We loved his designs as well. I think we found him through Instagram, didn't we? Or Louis did. And he has a, a real um, pull towards military. So a lot of his designs was camouflage prints. And I think that's why we liked him. And we sort of went down there, had a lot of military paraphernalia and old uh, wagons and bits and pieces. So there was a kind of instant connection there. And bearing in mind, Jeff at the time, I think we caught him at a perfect time. You know, he's super, super busy, but he had a, a small window of opportunity where he was kind of like, look, I've moved down here away from London, I've set up the eco retreat with his wife, Karina. They're beautiful people. And I think he was just like, I think he felt a bit of pity on us and was like, mm. you know what? I love the military, special forces guys. These two fucking, they seem like they're a bit of me. I like them. Um, okay, but again, to Louis's point, he did. you couldn't really read him as a person. So we kind of moonwalked out of there, not really sure whether it was a success or not. And we kind of drove off in the car, like, thanks, Jeff, great to meet you, you know, the family. And we drove down the lane, stopped, got out of the car, and we're like, what the fuck just happened? That was mm. so surreal. What a mad bonkers mm. experience and meeting. It's not what I can, but probably what both of us had in our in our mind. So we sort of left and said, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's interested or not. We sort of then had the fucking four hour or whatever drive back to pool, back in the office, we're carrying on. And I think Jeff reached out to us didn't he, and sort of said, look guys, yeah. you know, let Louis take over from it. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, we were deflated. We were just like, oh, deflated, but like, okay. Then next how, thing, next then thing. Next, next way to do this. Yeah. So we started to look down other avenues. But anyway, inbox came up and it was like, Jeff Griffin. Oh, So he was like, guys, I want to do it. You know, I really want to help you guys out. I really want to, like, I, I loved you two, you know, as individuals. And I could see you passionate. And I could see that, you know, you've got this burning desire to do this. Regardless of how much I'm trying to put you off, you're still hell bent on yeah. doing it. So he was like, I've got this great factory, it's in Italy, I want to introduce you and I want to help you. So I can help you out with some initial designs and show you how this is done. So we were like super excited. We were like like two, two excited little boys were like, okay, let's get on a flight to, to Italy. So we- In we, fact, before that, didn't we then, we went back to Loveland Farm. We got in one of those pods. We did, yeah. We went into yeah. one of those pods and he was like, listen guys, come down, stay over at the eco retreat at the farm, You know, we'll take you out, eat food, all this kind of stuff. So we went back down to the farm again and he had one of the pods set up and we just stuck ourselves in this pod for probably two days. And we had designs out, clothing, put them tunes on. Brilliant. Uh, and then we went to these designs, sat down with Jeff. We've still got the old footage, the YouTube footage of us sat down and this is kind of what we want to do and the ideas that we have. And we just locked ourselves in there and, uh, you know, just coffee and food and going out local. And, and it was fucking brilliant. Mm. And we kind of, at that point for me, I sort of, started feeling like we were getting somewhere yeah. and I, and it felt right and the designs and everything else I was like fuck this is this and is also really you exciting. found someone who it's believes exciting. in you yeah yeah, yeah I mean Steve that, Steve yeah. first and foremost you yeah. know you could see that he had the idea yeah. and Steve investing the money with like just like me and Staz were like right 
okay, well, we've, we've got a bit of backup here, you know, and that yeah. always feels good, you know, yeah. it's a nod. So and Steve's you, a good guy. Really yeah, good, yeah. really good. You know, yeah. Steve's We're really been, fortunate. Yeah. He's been very fun, fundamental in, in, in making sure that we do things the right way from the off, yeah. you know, so, yeah, I mean, we'll probably come on to Steve more because mm. he, he deserves it just to, for us to talk about, you know, everything that he's done for us over the last six, uh, well, yeah, six yeah. years. What was that feeling like for you when he said, right, I'm going to bring something to the table, I'm going to bring Italy to the table? Were you thinking, now we're talking? Next thing, yeah, we're on a flight with, with Jeff yeah. um, and being introduced to a very, very um, high-level factory. Yeah. You know, and to Louis' point, back back again, you would never have these doors open yeah, to absolutely. you and these opportunities. So you need a bit of that yeah. and, and look and bits and pieces, but you kind of forge your own path. And, yeah. you, you know, and if you're good people and you're... And you're um, Straight. I guess if you're honest and you're yeah. straight shooting, generally people will, will, will take you under the wing and they'll help you out a bit. You know, yeah. good people help good people. I think. Yeah, not without fails. I mean, there was loads of people we spoke to where it was just like, yeah, that, that was just a waste of our time. But that's business, right? Yeah. You know, you have ten conversations and one of them might be just gold dust, but the rest of them's dross. But yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, Jeff was just like he was r really kind of like a real kind of turning point for us. Where so we went to Italy and the, the factories makes for like high end fashion brands, so Fendi, Chanel, oh, like Louis Vuitton, like what this factory took you to? Yeah, yeah, yeah Moncler, all that kind of ski okay. snowwear, yeah, brilliant and technical stuff and. And, and Italians like, do it well. Yeah, the artisans, right? Yep. So they're, they're, they're really good at their jobs. So, so good, but it's expensive, yep. right? So, but we, we knew that. We, we, and we, this is because we want to be at the top of our game. It's like, we don't want to make something average that's just available for everybody and just like it would do us a disservice. And we put our heart on our sleeves and it's like our credibility that's important here. It's like, if we're going to make product, we've got to make the best. So we were in the right place and they've got all the technical capabilities that we needed. Like I mentioned about Britain and it just being knife and fork. And we would love to have made it in Britain at the yeah. time, but it's just, if we want to make technical outdoor performance gear, mm. we, we can't mm. do it here, mm. you know? So it's got to be somewhere else. And, and, and that was Italy. So they helped us with the first kind of prototypes and Jeff had designed um, these, first, helped us design these first three garments. And, and it was, it, it it was very fashion at the time, you know, the first few drawings that Jeff did, it was like, it lent too far that way for us where mm. we wanted it to be like technical performing garments, but it had to look cool as fuck. Yeah. And we had too much of the look cool as fuck, yeah. but didn't technically perform at that point. So it took a lot of backwards and forwards between us and the factory, which is always the case. Mm. But I think they were laughing, as, laughing at us at the time and it was like, guys, you do realize that you've done like 10 prototypes and it's like, usually it's like three. Yeah. And we were like, wow. Yeah, and those first three products were an Arctic Parker. I think you've got the sort oh. of seventh iteration Mate, of that, of that the Arctic Parker. Arctic Parker is unreal. Yeah. yeah. On every level. Yeah. Attention to detail, the, just everything. Yeah. Amazing so it was, piece. It was that, that, that sort of first garment, and then we had the hybrid sort of jacket, which is still one of our products today, and the Zodiac jacket as well, yeah. again, which is, has been a, a big part So that's of where you went down. Range. You went down the jacket route straight away. Is that where you, you wanted to set the, your standards, was it? The first initial three garments, and again, you, constrict, you are restrained here somewhat in terms of cash and money. You can't just bring out a whole range of product, no. you know. Um, so we sort of concentrated on three jackets, and also at the time, we're still learning and understanding about the business and the brand, and, you know, while this is going on, we're setting up website you know social media we're getting out you know filming content and that was a beauty i think of through dark in the beginning and those kind of people that started following us and we had help as well and shout out to those people and your foxes and people yeah. that had a big social media following that were backing us and believed in what we were doing yeah. and were helping us on that front but you know you, you kind of you want to do everything at once mm. and you know that you can't so you have to be very selective with what you do and mm. 
at the time, we, the idea was that we were going to launch in um, 2017 at the, at the December period, yeah. you know. And again, this is a fucking long process. It's mm. not just idea, yeah. let's make a couple of jackets, yeah. you'll have them in a few weeks, we'll, we'll build a website and fucking people will buy it. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more nuanced and complex mm. than that. So we actually, in our heads, we're like, okay, through like, this is the summer, we're doing all this process, we're sampling. You know, we're working back from a launch date now of around December, January, and we had a, a launch um, built uh, built in for then, the website, and everything just fucking keeps getting knocked Push right. Back, yeah. Everything is getting yeah. knocked right from website and all sorts of shenanigans and dramas and, and difficulties that you have and hurdles that you've got to kind of hit and fires and that you're putting out and, and everything else and across all aspects of the business. Mm. And actually we ended up launching, uh, you know, that following year, in the summer, but now we're launching a fucking Arctic Parker in yeah. the middle of summer. <laughs> Geniuses. And everyone's, why are you doing that? Yeah. Oh, fucking, it was not yeah. by design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the way. That so it was a year of research and development, was it? 12 months. Pretty, yeah. It's probably pretty a year much. And a half, probably probably more. Really. Okay. Um, so yeah, it just it took a long, a long time for us to get it across the line. But it's like it was only because we we had such high expectations yeah. on ourselves to deliver, yeah. and we just kept pushing it back because it, it wasn't ready. And at the time, we were like, "It's ready when it's ready." It's like mm. we don't want to just like release something that's not got all the bells and whistles and isn't something that me and Stars are, are ultimately proud of at the time of having all the skill sets that we have at that time yeah which is it's always like it's incremental right so every single product's been improved since then but at the time with the skill sets that we had we did the best possible products that mm. we could and was there minimum orders at the time for those jackets yeah and the, the italy factory was just so good with us i mean these the minimum order quantities they relaxed that for us and we managed to <laughs> really kind of haggle our way into that throwing out 50s and 60s at a time which yeah. is unheard of really, yeah, yeah yeah as a factory that's right yeah. And what was there? What was it? Was it just two of you on this journey from the start? Yeah. And it, do you know what? It's like when I look at transferable skill sets, it's not the, there is that the, there, are, there are similarities with what you've done in special forces, but they, they don't go hand in hand. You know, yeah. it's like but the main thing is having an aptitude to be able to pick things up and and run with them. So mm. it's like, I mean, like we concentrated on all elements of business. I mean, we were we were everything in the business from customer support to product management to social media. The, every business, every small, you know, startup business is like this. You know, you've got to be able to throw your hand into any single job that's mm. there at the time. So I think, well, we obviously did a pretty good job, the two of us. Yeah, and there's, um, and I think if you look and sit at me and Louis, you think oh, they're quite similar people, same person, mm. you know, special forces, they must be the, the same person. But we're actually quite different yeah. in some respects in terms of what we're good at. But that's what of, makes businesses work. Imagine I, if you were two of you. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. two of you, it wouldn't work. Yeah, don't go. There, yeah, yeah. Don't go. <laughs> 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 but you have to have that. I think we've complimented Lovely each compliment, other yeah. quite well. And it's not without its difficulties and nuances. You have to find the way. Mm. You have to find your swim lanes, you, you know, you sayings. You both can't be mum, you both can't be dad. Yeah. So you have to find out what, where your strengths lie, where your weaknesses lie, identify that and then run with it, you know. And obviously there's crossover and we're always speaking to each other and, and working out how we sort of the best practices for, you know, products. And Louis very good and operationally and uh, and product based and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, so it's better to sort of let them, let, let Louis 
take the the helm with this sort of stuff with obviously with input and at the beginning you, to Louis's point you're doing everything you're fucking yeah. spinning every plate and helping each other as yeah. much as you can but you know naturally but as the business fun, grows right? it's fucking it's yeah. fun yeah. yeah but you know it's it's yeah it, it is fun and yeah. where, where was exciting. it where was it sort of like 2018 you launched where was it when you started to break the back of this business because what did Brexit come and hit in that well, must have had a we had everything I don't think we broke the back of it yet <laughs> no okay yeah and we were six, six years in yeah I mean I, jo I joke but I've I seen joke. you no but we've been to the setup you've got an amazing setup you've got as we're sitting today you've got what 25 30 full-time staff yeah you know the setup's amazing the products are amazing but actually when you're starting a business you're starting a business to hold stock to then sell online mm -hmm. is that the business model from the start um yes I, we always knew that, that that kind of that that was the way that the industry was going at the time you know and, and we've had tailwinds and headwinds um that have helped us with that you know so i guess e-commerce and social media pl platforms have just we we were we were in a period where everything kind of worked for us it, you know to start on this trajectory of being an e-commerce direct you know, to consumer brand direct to consumer brand so it's like yeah it, it's, it's worked you know so at the start then you're saying like you're saying earlier some people are laughing what they're doing they've come out of the special forces they're creating a, a, a brand you're always going to get people laughing we've had it all our lives as entrepreneurs of people looking it's only when you start succeeding they're going they're the ones who are like oh yeah fantastic doing really good really good do you still remember some of those people who yeah. Yeah. you do Fuel and the other people the say that was my idea yeah, yeah. I think we've always like I always use that anyway I, I love that I love the doubters and the hate same and people like I use it as a fuel yeah. to go right Absolutely. watch this space yeah so I get, I get it's ingrained in us mm. and so, then over time I think it, it sort of it's the death of a thousand cuts isn't it uh, slowly but surely over the time you then start to build more product you know yeah. more skews more more um, things that are available for people to buy from merchandise to caps and t-shirts and, and then more technical product and then it's trousers and what do we need next? And if we went back to our whiteboard and we looked at Through Dark and what the vision and what we had, we fucking hell had ideas for everything, yeah. you know? And it's almost like pump the brakes, you know? Mm. Um, you know, what can we do with what we have at our disposal right now and everything that we can, that we can manage? And then over those years, the first year, you're just sort of get, getting established, you're getting out the gate. And I think what was unique with us in terms of through dark is was our authenticity and our credibility. Yeah. You know, we were the people that were designing the clothing. We yeah. were flying out to Italy with the pattern cutters, with the designers. No, no, tweak that, change that, that material. Coming back, the sample would arrive. Oh, it's just not quite right. But what we're going to do is go and test this equipment right now and, and the clothing. And it was me and Louis, social media, just... You know, yeah. filming each other you know, we couldn't afford videographers and photographers yeah. and all this stuff at the time but we understood the way that we wanted the brand to look uh, to people from the outside looking in we had that kind of really unique it's, got, no, it's not right it needs to look a certain mm. way it needs to tell a certain story it needs to be emotive and, and aspirational and, and it was authentic in so much that we were designing everything and we were testing it and people yeah. could see that so very mm. quick, slowly we sort of sort of build a, um, a cult almost following of yeah. people that really bought into me and Louis and the brand and what we were about. And that was the sort of first year. And then the second year you're growing again, it's more people. Now you start getting people in. Actually, we need a, um, somebody to, to, to look after the orders because, you know, Back in the early days, it was you'd have an order Packing coming, yourself. One, yeah. or, one order a week yeah. or a day, and it was fucking. <laughs> we'd jump up like somebody's yeah. ordered that jacket, and I'll pack it, and yeah. it's exciting. That's exciting times. as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And and then you're always evolving the packaging and 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 the processes and how people are receiving it and how we're communicating to people, and we're always quite authentic. And to Louis's point, we're summarizing here, but we had so many headwinds and, and tailwinds mm. and, and and things that were wrong with products. You know, we released a jumper, that, similar to the jumper that you're wearing. Mm. The first iteration of that, we were. Super 
super proud of it. We got it made in Britain. We were like, yes, this is amazing. And, you know, for a trusted contact. And I think we released 300, which was a huge amount for us at the time. Yeah. And, you know, we're taking a gamble and we're sort of, again, on, on we really believed in the product. It went out, it had amazing initial feedback for the first week and then it was around Christmas time, wasn't it? And the next thing, we, you know, we're controlling the customer support email stuff as well. So it's coming into both me and Louie yeah. on the and next yeah. thing, a complaint comes in, oh, the, the fucking stitching's going on the elbow yeah. and, mm, okay, well, that's fine. You know, we, we've got a degree of of, uh, of issues that you can have a certain percentage of things that, that naturally go wrong because it, it's cut and sewed fucking garments. Mm. Things do go mm. wrong. And then another email, another email, you know, three turns to five to 10 to yeah. 20. And we're like, fuck, yeah. right? There's obviously an issue here with with the, the manufacturing process and, and 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 that garment in particular. So, was that in Italy? Make, was that in Italy? No, another it country? UK. UK. Right, okay. We had to make that up north difficult decision. No, it was like, it was London. It was London. Was it? It was London. Because yeah. most of them, most of Surprising. them are up north, aren't they? Yeah. It was very, but we were doing yeah. different things. We weren't just getting off-shelf items and putting our fucking logo. On. You We've were never making done that. your own. So yeah. the things that we were integrating, the technologies and the hard wearing materials yeah, into the yeah that yeah. sort of stuff. Taking that to these these manufacturers, they were like, "Well, fuck it, what? nobody's done this before. Yeah. Why are you do for these reasons? That's why we want it there and and and, and everything else." And so we were being, we were always being different and trying mm. to make things differently, and unfortunately, it didn't work. So you know, we had to make those decisions. Yeah. We had a full stinker with that, and it's like we it was really well received by the customer. You know, like because we had such a cool following, they they kind of understood to yeah. a degree, but it was like high expectations on us, and we wanted to do the right thing. So I think it was a key kind of turning point for us as well where it was like you know what what's what's the right thing to do always yeah so it was like right let's pull them all back you know yeah. so we did a full product recall and um it cost us significantly you know at the time considering we had investment yeah. but it was like this is a big hole yeah. you know and we've got no sales coming in yeah. because we've just had to recall everything um so but it it did go down well and we communicated this piece which we that's I the think, key isn't it just communicate, let them know and be yeah, straight with them. I wrote, yeah. I wrote this heartfelt thing. Stas obviously checked it off and he goes, yeah, that's banging, mate. It's yeah. like, just send it to every single customer. And I think it was just like, they were like, yeah, okay, we, we understand you and we trust you. Mm. So, and that was that honesty, integrity, yeah. that look, the things that we took from special forces and that ethos, we yeah. tried to run through the business with ourselves from a day-to-day -day business, but also everybody else that works with 3Dark now. We've mm. always tried to act and communicate with honesty and integrity mm. as well. And that was a big part of, of us learning as well. Mm. And the customer as well, actually receiving that. Because generally speaking, if you're honest with people, yeah. you say, look, really sorry, we've had an issue with the, with the manufacturing and, and the specific factory. We want to do right by you, the customer. We're recalling them at, at our expense mm. and we will fucking replace that mm. with a new improved version of that jumper. Mm. So, you, so you, come, you come out of special forces, obviously everything stops. There's no, there's no money just stops completely. Yeah. So when you're jumping into this business, how many years were you going where you were actually not taking anything out at all? Do you know what? We had to juggle things. So yeah. like, it's like, because we had to be opportunistic with the opportunities that we have, you know, from being special forces. So we were still doing security work. So we were working like silly hours doing through dark anyway, but then every so often we'd kind of switch and change and me and Stas would go away and do the odd security job. So mm. they'd be like, okay, this week, do you want to go away and make some money doing that? And we, we did some work for Super Bowl. So um, doing security for that, looking after the yeah. teams, um, so NFL. Yeah. And yeah, I did a couple of other private security yeah. gigs. So I think probably for the first year and a half, the, yeah. the business isn't making money. No. But, you know, and Steve- The year and a half after launch, not yeah, including the R&D. Yeah. yeah, and if okay. you look at, um, and I'm talking in terms of, you know, break-evens yeah. and EBITDA, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But this is where Steve comes in. And I remember sitting in, in Link House and he, and he pulled us in for a, a board meeting. 
And I was like, fucking, look, look, fucking bored me. Yeah. What's he talking about? Yeah. And he gets us in the, the board room, fucking TV up, and he puts up a P&L and a spreadsheet. And I'm fucking looking at Louis go, what the fuck <laughs> is this? And he, Steve's sort of laughing and giggling. He can, yeah. he can sort of sense. He's like, look, you know, guys, we have to set the business up from the very start for success. Foundationally, everything has to be run like a proper fucking business mm. because it will be you know and we have to act that way and and there was a lot in that actually at the time because you're looking at a small PL that doesn't have a lot of stuff in it mm. and he was like to me specifically Stads you will understand this world and spreadsheets you'll actually come to enjoy it and like mm. it and he's right you know six years in you get excited about looking at spreadsheets and numbers now because you understand how important things are and how things move and, and turn the dial for the right way but Back in that day, that first sort of year and a half, you're not making money, no. you know, and as an investor, Steve's helping out a little bit more in, you know, but he can see where we're heading. He can see the growth of the business and we're moving, we're tracking the right direction. Mm. But more importantly, the product was getting better yeah. and better and better. And I think he was actually quite shocked and surprised with just how good the product was that we were making. It was now then a case of communicating to a wider audience and new customer acquisition and everything else. And we were doing the right thing. Mm. So once we started on that journey and that first kind of first proper financial year, you know, we were kind of, we were off to the races and we were actually making a, um, a good amount of money coming back in. You know, Until was, you start employing. Well, yeah, but because then all the money that you yeah. make, then you're you not. Back it's not in. in the bank. It's yeah, just re-rolled and, it, and it's redistributed and pumped back into. Do you remember the your first? Do you remember your first uh, employees? Yeah, who they were, what roles they were taking, and also I want to know what roles you both played in in the business as well. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of comes back to from our roles. I guess that we had our own swim lanes, and we've always naturally kind of. Um, kind of stuck to those. So I've always been on operations kind of production side. So that's that's kind of where I've sat. Not that they don't switch over yeah. but, and Staz has sat on sales and kind of creative, but like that's kind of been our two swim lanes the whole way, hasn't it? And yeah. that's because just the way that we are, mm. you know? So I'm naturally process driven and I want to know the detail about how things made yeah. it. And, and Staz is more of it, you know, he's, he's an elbow tickler and he's, he's good at speaking to people and communicating. It's mm. like, Natural. Did you know that when you first set out, or you're like, you know what, I'm just, let's just do it, let's just do it. I'm actually good at that. You're good at that. Let's actually find our own lane here and crack on. I think it just naturally happened. Yeah, to some degree, yeah. I think you do. You mm. understand, but um, as you develop and grow as the business, and the business does as well, and the requirements and the needs across the business change mm. and, and move. Yeah, generally speaking, you're kind of and look. Louis said the analogy before. It's like a fucking an out of control horse, isn't it, running down the hill, and you're mm. just fighting fires constantly and plate spinning and plate spinning and trying to just cover the gaps wherever mm. you can. So you're doing everything. Mm. But then, you know, back to the point where people start coming on there to lighten the load for you. So you get somebody in that's just dealing now with the customer support and the picking and packing. And similar to special forces, we were kind of like, everybody that we were employing early days, they weren't specialists. They were kind of generalists. It was yeah. like, can you do a bit of that? Do you know how that works? Yeah, brilliant. Can you do a bit of picking and packing? Brilliant. Mm. You're in. Yeah. And it was a, an ex-military guy, a friend of ours, Manny. And then we had a, uh, you know, Matt Hardy, the photographer, came in, and he wasn't just doing photography; he was also in pick and packing. Mm. You know, he's carrying and fucking lugging boxes up and down the stairwells, mm. and you know, helping out those early doors. And then it was, you know, again as we grew and and, and the business starts to to grow and develop, and we started in that small office. And yeah. over the next year and a half, two years, before we knew it, and it kind of happened slowly over time, we start taking up the next office. Yeah. Then we're into the other office, and then we're we take over the whole fucking top floor, and yeah. and then we've got fucking stock everywhere, and you know and 
looking back, we were on the top floor of an office building. We've left a stuff. <laughs> fucking lugging, you know, rolls of yeah. fabric yeah. up the fucking stairs, yeah. you know, and back down boxes. Mm. It was a shift. It was when. Epic. When was the point where yourselves and Steve said, right, we need to get out of here. We need to get a proper big unit. When we started moving into his office, I think. Yeah, he had enough. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Probably when I was sleeping underneath the desk every night, and Steve was like me. <laughs> yeah. the, the for, a lot, for a lot of reasons. I think we just we like uh, we were grafting. You know, we were putting hours in. I mean, ninety-hour weeks and everything else. So it was like it was a shift. But I think we got to a stage where we we just like it wasn't making sense for us to work out there because it was st- it was becoming heavily stock orientated rather than it being you know office day to day storage uh, office day-to-day running so um we ended up getting a warehouse space but um yeah so which at the time we we looked at the office opposite and we took steve with us and it was uh what three thousand square foot two and a half thousand square feet and me and we were like fucking it's massive this mm. brilliant we get all this stuff in there we'll put an office there desk there and mm. stock here and steve was going look lads I, i'm looking at the trajectory that you're Think currently big. on yeah yeah he said you'll be you'll outgrow this in six months yeah. to a year and i was like that's a good good bad problem mm. great problem to have and he was like well we need to think a little bit more further mm. a field than that and you know we sort of turned 180 around and there was another unit opposite which was twice as big had a mezzanine floor and the guy that we were speaking to at the time uh, with regards to the letting of the he mm. said look that's actually now become available because covid was some other stuff was happening around the time yeah, and yeah. there's a bit of uncertainty in the market with, with with everything else and he said the guys pulled out it's actually come available again um you know to buy and it mm. was like we can't fucking afford that we we're looking at renting and thankfully sort of steve stepped in and said let's if you got the keys, let's go and have a fucking look. Yeah. He walked in, we walked in, and again, elbow tickled and sort of said, fucking, this would be amazing. Yeah. This would be gold standard, incredible. Look how much we could grow in here. And this would be, a, and, and you know, thankfully Steve sort of, again, stepped up and said, we'll have it, we'll mm. take it. You know, took again another risk, financial risk and uh, an investment on me and Louis and the business. So the next thing we know, we're, we're sort of planning to move into there and we sort of do a fit out um, into unit four. We're still into there to this day. That's the main office and, and headquarters, goods in and out and the gym and the jujitsu. Yeah. shake-ons and the main office upstairs and by this stage there's probably four or five employees so we move upstairs we put the one or two so we're de- looking what 2020 here, desks in. when you moved there oh god yep. yes just 20, before yeah, yeah 2020, 2020. September 2020 and, and you had then, four or five staff then plus yourselves yeah so I think yeah, I can remember yeah. the names but I guess we had Matt Hardy we had Ben at the time and Ben then just t- taken over the production side of things yeah. but I mean we owe a lot to Matt Hardy as well because because I guess that me and Stas had this uh, unique kind of vision in our heads for great the, photographer yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he just knocked it out of the park. He yeah. was like, "Look, this is the way we want to be dark, moody, and different." And and he he, he did he, dark, he, moody, and different. Brilliant. Yeah, and yeah. he managed to just get what me and Stas were after, you know, with a bit of tweaking and pulling. But he was, it's, and he was, he was a really good employee, man. And I great mean, at systems as well, and and the IT and any issues that you had on mm. website, he could turn his hand to stuff as well. So he was a great. I person. want to roll back a bit there. You mentioned when you come out of special forces, Louis. You were like, you come out of special forces. You mentioned as well. You like, we're faced, and all of a sudden we're no one now. We're in civilian life. People don't know who we are. You've gone to a different country. People don't know who we are. What's it been like being on the journey now as a brand owner of a really high-end clothing brand and and everything you've got today? How easy it is to open doors being who you are? There are some some doors open easier than others, but yeah. the main issues and difficulties that I find per, found personally were because we came from that echo chamber and that world of you know peak tip of the spear, special forces, yeah. self-motivated individuals that you could turn around to somebody and say. 
I just need you to look after that, do that. You know it's going to be done to yeah. the very highest standards. Whereas when we left, you know, you're looking at employees and it's a different mindset from military to civilian. So you have to temper your approach and your expectations as mm-hmm. well, which is which is quite difficult sometimes. But for the most part, we've been really lucky with the people that we've pulled in that have understood who we are and what we're looking for. Yeah. But, you know, I think Louis said it earlier, you know, nobody really gives a fuck mm-hmm. kind of who you are and what you've done. Some In some Social situations, it helps. It it gets you into rooms, gets you introduced to people, but it's not necessarily a a precursor to success. No, but I think if someone's knocking on the door and there's two lads here from the SBS, which has got a clothing brand, and that door opens, they're going to welcome with open arms. Yeah, it helps. And I think the mean mean stats when we first left, we're really quite reluctant to lean too heavily on that special forces background, but it was was difficult for us to do because we were like, we know that this is our unique selling point, right? It's like, okay, what makes us, what sets us apart from everybody else is our background and our experience and and how much of the story can we tell and we've always been quite tentative with that and just just tried to do us you know our former colleagues justice without saying too much yeah you know and it's such a hard thing that's to hard do. yeah so but it has opened doors you know and it had it gives you that credibility you know from from because i, I think we get a certain amount of respect from what we do but that can be that can be blown straight away yeah. you know you can meet somebody and just go like yeah what these couple of idiots yeah. you know like oh the former special forces but what can they do so we've still got to come from that background and, and kind of forge our path in a business world and show people that can we, we can do this as yeah. well you know so yeah. Yeah. and whereabouts on the journey then you've got steve on board have you ever taken any other investment from other investors over the years we so we've been really quite good we've run things so lean or especially for the two, first two and a half years and i've probably been the one for that and i don't know if stars will agree with it but i've been, i've kind of been like no nah, we we can't spend that money because because i just i knew how how much it, it, that kind of foundation of being able to run it lean would stand us in good stead as we move forwards as a business you know so we were reluctant we have to spend it like your own money i guess yeah you have to you have to and and yeah you have to be really cautious and and understand how quickly money can fucking slip through your fingers in business and it's easy to go say yes to everything you Mm. want to say yes Mm. to everything from fear of missing out Mm. massively in a business for saying yeah let's do that it's a great opportunity and Mm. if we don't do that we might miss something Mm. we might you know miss that opportunity Mm. so yeah louis has been really good at that in in terms of reigning especially me and if i'm sort of yeah that's fucking great and this is a good idea and and steve from the the kind of spreadsheet point of view as well in terms of actually looking at how that falls you know yeah, and it's a, we, also the value add, and it's like um, we we have taken more investment, and it's been more of a recent thing over the last year. Yeah. Um, and it's like we wanted to bring people to the table that we're going to add value. And I'm a I'm I'm a cynic, right? So I'm a, like even with with Steve putting money in, I was I have a sense of reluctancy where it's like I feel like it's ours, and I want to do it, but I'm also very very aware of the fact that without that capital, you can't grow yeah. fast. You know, you're gonna it's gonna be a slow long journey. Yeah. Um, so, so it needs we need that in order to you know to really start on a trajectory that we want to be on. So mm. we took we took some some good investment recently. It's, yeah, it's very important who you decide to bring to your table as yeah. well, and uh, it's the cliched stuff of being in a room or a board meeting and and being the. Um, the least intelligent person in there or at least somewhere near that Mm. because and we've always surrounded ourselves with very bright intelligent um uh, people and and business leaders and recently we had al barrett on for people that are listening al barrett uh, is is obviously 
owned and operated a very, very successful, huge uh, brand in Grenade, you know, the sports nutrition brand, yeah. uh, which he's just had a successful sale of. And we were introduced to Alan and, and became good friends and, you know, expressed interest and, and, and Alan as well. And what we didn't want to do is take sort of, um, we wanted the sort of private stuff from other people and, yeah. and not kind of PE and, and other businesses that come in and, and would give you the financial investment because yeah. the business is doing really well now yeah. and it's tracking year on year, it's doubling in growth yeah. and it's doing really well. And to your point, we've got 35 staff now yeah. and lots of agency support, it's doing really well. So it would be almost easy for a huge company to come in. Yeah. We've had opportunities as well from different people that have shown interest, in it, but they're just not right. Mm. You know, They would come into Through Dark and rip the heart and soul yeah. out of it. And that's not what we're about. Well that's done. not what we want to do. Great choice. Especially you, you start mentioning private equity. Yes. That will, they could rip the whole rip the whole out of the heart of that business there. But yeah. it's a great move, Val Barrett. Mm -hmm. Proper entrepreneur set up grenade. I think he's a good one to have on yeah. board for sure. So he's sort of recently come in, in the last sort of um, six to twelve months. So a great value add again to, mm. to, to Louis' point. Just bring mm. different thought processes to the party as well. And tell me where else the brand has moved over the last couple of years? Because I've seen you guys in Selfridges now. Yeah, yeah. So we did a bit. It was a brand play for us. Um, so I guess it's um, it's it's done really well, and it gives us the credibility of being in a high end store. You know, I mean, it's like it's very difficult because. You know, you, you're not necessarily going to make a huge margin out of that. No. You know, we're all <laughs> quite quite aware of. But brand association is good. Yeah, perfect it's good. to I raise mean, the profile. Yeah, we, we kicked Canada kind of Canada goose out of their area in Selfridges, so we were like, well, that, <laughs> that's that's, that's yeah. enough for us. Yeah, you know, we'll take that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're in the right places, you know, and it's like that. Those plays are really important for us from a credibility and a reach perspective because it's like we are in a bubble still and you can do so much on digital acquisition and everything else to try and get the brand name out there but you know to be in a high-end store is, is definitely mm. a big thing and what about what about moving forwards now what's the ultimate goal moving forwards lads with the brand itself fuck it we didn't come to take part we come to take over but it's, it's staying true to who we are and, and the brand and the vision and and everything else and as we've now moved forward to to, to current day to where we are now this sort of 30 odd people's staff it's about bringing the right people in at the right time that's right for the business and to sort of separate the two lines of the business you have the kind of product and operations which generally speaking louis yeah. kind of runs with day to day and yeah. takes a hold of and i'm on the other side in terms of brand so you know i can cover sort of my part obviously we we talk we the lanes overlap and mm. we're constantly talking to each other from a business perspective we've put a lot of processes in place as well with different people that have come in and, and professionals and i guess it's only really within the last 12 months you know that we've started to grow in such a significant way and actually invest in subject matter experts you know we're getting people in at the right places yeah. now to kind of you know commercial directors brand directors and and a ceo that's recently just joined us as mm. well so you know real sort of power moves and, and power plays to get big um, um, people into the brand at the right time in the right places to mm. really drive the business in the right direction. And, you know, on my side of the fence here is to, to what Louis suggested earlier, it's all brand and it's, it's yeah. web, it's e-com, it's acquisition, yeah. it's content. You know, we've got two amazing content, you know, creators and creative individuals as well. So mm. people that are dealing with events and people that are shooting content, video, still capture, you know, that are organizing trips and plans and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, and it's about delivering that then across all the platforms, mm. across the website, across the social media, platforms you know there's a there's a lot of fucking yeah, work yeah, day man. to day that goes and still loads that. more to go loads because you're really go. like six years in yeah another four years you get to that 10-year period only five percent of businesses get to that 10-year period yeah is the ultimate goal after that 10-year period of that time you get to a point you go we've been acquired 
that's the ultimate goal. Thank you, gents. It's been one hell of a journey. I think we're, we're, we're such a strong part of the brand now. And it's like we always wanted to be that, you know, the heart and soul. And, it, and it, it, I think we'll always be a part of it. You know, we, we've got to be because it's like it's we've been there from the start. And this is our story, right? We are the unique selling point. The reason why through Dark as a brand is because me and Stas, mm. you know, and that is going to get diluted to a degree. But it's for us. For us to keep a control of that and make sure that it still comes across in the right way. At the end of the day, we want to be an aspirational brand that motivates people to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do by mm. providing them kit and equipment to go out and do do outdoor activities yeah. or you know or go to go to a, a gym or to do an athletic event or whatever that may be. So um, yeah, we've got to we've got to start to just kind of get that across to our and, staff and, and, and still stay else. sort of true to our original mission and our goal. And we've not. For the most part, we haven't veered off course. No, too I can much. see. I can see, um, and it, it's interesting, really. So the people that we bring in and, and everything else around the business, and putting that ethos in there as well from the things that we've learned. But you know, the, the, everybody that's, that joins, it's so many moving parts now as the mm. business sort of grows and develops. It's fucking exciting. Yeah. But if we re rewind through any stage of the past six years, it has been incredibly fucking difficult yeah. you know it puts a strain on across you as an individual personally professionally you know your relationships mm. everything it's just so fucking difficult just on that like when you when you go in any business if you've got two partners in there like yourselves has there been times when you've clashed yes there has but i think do you know what like a, a few people have asked me this and, I, and it's been quite recent and mm. it's, it's profound and i and, and i mean this like in the from from the heart that we can still manage to operate, even if we have the odd fallout now yeah. and again, where we butted heads, it's like, we still make things work. You know, we've yeah. still been ultimately professional and wanted the same thing. And it all comes from a good place. It's just like, sometimes you have a difference in perspective, a different way of doing things. Mm. And like you need to meet or you need to understand each other's perspective on yeah. it. So yeah, we've butted heads and it's testament to us both really, it's for us to, Massive respect. to, to yeah. go through that. And like, we're doing a fucking good job. You are. Know? Yeah, you so are. And you ever you're... thought about, you ever thought about like when you're coming to sell a business, I've, when I've exited business, I always disassociated myself from the business. So the business can be sold and passed on without me being in the operation side mm -hmm. of it. Have you ever thought about that one day that you might have to do that and you can get the right people in place to do that and maybe you keep your faces as the faces of it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of um, different ways of looking at and exiting. But, you know, everybody, you, you I think you have to set out with the goal in mind of creating something that is fucking amazing in order to make it valuable yep. to other people in terms of acquisition and sale. That yeah, that's fine, but we don't know when that is. Yep. You know, we don't that, we don't know if that's next year or 10 years. Mm. But I think to Louis's point, we're here we're in this for the long long haul, mm. in this for the long run because we're such an intricate part of the brand. We will always be in the brand, the brand, yeah. or on the brand yeah. in some way, shape, or form, you know, and that will change. And it's very hard to look into the future. But all we can do right now is keep setting ourselves up for success yeah. and the brand. You know, bring the right people in, keep concentrating. The main things that you know we want to focus on right now is product, yeah. creating the best fucking product that we can. And brand, you know, are we communicating then in the right way yeah. to the right people, and still staying true to everything that we we hold dear? And what I've what I've noticed, what I've noticed massively is your following, your cult following, your community you're building is so powerful. I had a little look this morning and went on Trustpilot, four thousand five hundred five star reviews. Yeah. That is worth a million dollars. That's unbelievable. So you've kept your standards so high and great communication with everyone. What is that following actually like? What is that audience, would you say? It's quite a big mix. And we've done some data, like we've, we've tried to dig down on the data even more so now. I think we've, we've got access to this more readily. 
Um, but I think there's there's obviously a, a former military following that we have, but we also lean on like a high high end businessmen and you know people who are high performers in different um, kind of environments, so athletes and yeah, we have yeah. such a obviously from the outside looking at we are a masculine brand. Yeah. you know we are quite you know and and that's fine you know yeah. unapologetically so and but saying that we're still. Uh, appealing and approaching different people so we have everything from and this is product led as well we have everything from a bespoke summit suit that's kind of you can stand on top of the the tallest mountains in the world and that's the tip of the spear aspirational technical climbing gear all the way down to like um brazilian jiu-jitsu for example or um, training in the gym or you know technical outdoor clothing or uh, waterproof jackets down jackets uh, walking trousers and that's everybody you know i've been on sort of posh shotgun shooting days and people in their 50s that are well to do mm. that are you know business leaders that yeah. are wearing one of our gilets yeah. and i'm i'm kind of almost surprised and shocked yeah. like fucking hell you're wearing our stuff that's brilliant mm. i just wouldn't expect that but you know then to louis point you can go down somewhere else you could be on the side of a mountain doing a technical climb and there's a, a professional climber wearing mm. your stuff which is fucking or brilliant. when we went skiing people yeah, saw people wearing it on skiing, the slopes yeah you know and then yeah. so we have such a wide sort of um um variety of people but they're actually quite similar in terms of probably who they are in terms of a profile Mm. um and i think as a business it's hard i don't think you should try and appeal to everybody i Mm. think the moment you try and you come off course and you go we want to be a bit of that we want a bit of this and we want them people and those people they're not your tribe they're not your people so stop trying to fucking appeal to everybody just stick true to who you are and what you believe Mm. in and the product and the brand and the Mm. messaging and if it's good if the product's fucking good people jump on for Mm. the ride and your social media is top notch yeah, I, we're fu- we are like, so fortunate. Seriously that, good. I mean, the people that we've got in the in the brand now as well, and it's always me and Lou. We check everything off, yeah. so everything that comes through gets filtered and gets the sort of ultimate approval or yeah. nod. But we've got that much trust in the people that we've employed from mm. the creative direction uh, to the people that are making, you mm. know, the, the things that people see are on the social media platforms. You know, everybody mm. gets kind of who we are and mm. what the vision is and stuff. So we've always tried to stay true to that. But we've got incredibly talented people across all aspects yeah. of the business. And that all starts as well as and product. You know, you have to make fucking really um, good product that we've tested that we say, yeah, we're fucking happy, we're with, happy that. with that. We're happy with that, That then gets passed over. Now, communicate that in yeah. the right way across all the different platforms yeah. for people. And it's, uh, it's a big beast, isn't it? It churns. Mm. The day-to-day activity, I think a few weeks ago, we released five new products um, every day. Yeah. which is a huge undertaking for a brand but mm. the team picked it up ran with it and knocked it out of the park mm. but to your point there's a lot of stuff that goes behind closed doors <laughs> and it's hard and you, you only know what you know yeah. and, it, and, and criticism and everything else and oh, what about this you could have done that and yeah. fucking hell good luck with that yeah. you try it it's yeah. fucking you know hard mate, it's hard. hard I hear you we did yeah. a team brief the other day and we were talking about how far we've come in a short period and I turned around to the guys it's like we, we punch big we are yeah. a small team yeah. you look at some of these brands that we are yeah. Arguably competing against, and they've been around for nigh on a century, you know, decades, and and we're punching with we're punching with the big boys. Agree. You know? So we're, do, we're I can doing see a good it. job, and it's fantastic that we've done a partnership. Yes, yes, really proud of that. Yeah, I'm excited because you know we've known each other, mm. you know, personally, mm. um, and now obviously professionally with, yeah. with the, the kind of partnership that we're doing, the collaboration with you yeah. guys, and you know your stuff in the Eventful Lives podcast has been amazing. What a journey, you know, you've been on, mm. and fucking hats off and kudos. It's mm. a difficult world for you to mm. get in, but you again, if you look at you as a product and, and the podcast, you stuck true to who you are yeah. and what you want to 
push and the messaging and everything. I've been on your podcast before yeah. and it's done incredibly well. Mm. Um, so 500,000 views you got. That's, that's Long form content. That's a madness. Mm. Um, and for me, picking again, picking those partnerships is key. You know, we don't jump into bed with everybody. Yeah. You jump in bed with the right people, mm. you know, and, and it felt right as well. Mm. So we've been speaking about this for quite some yeah. time in terms of what the partnership would look like and yeah. how it would work and, and everything else. And look, you're local, you know, I believe in what you've done and you as a person, as an individual, you've achieved some incredible things. And now professionally, as you move into the podcast world, for me, it was, there's so much sort of um, similarities and, and natural kind of movement into, into a partnership. Yeah. So I'm incredibly grateful and thankful and, yeah. and excited to see where, Same we, here, can, where we can push it. Same here, we're going to push it as much as we can across everything. Very, very looking forward to this partnership. What is the final word to your fans out there? How you want to be remembered, your brand today? Anyone listening out there who hasn't heard of Through Dark or is part of Through Dark or they bought from you, how do you want to be seen and remembered? I want to thank them first and foremost for staying true to us and i guess that we want to be remembered for delivering what we said we would i guess that you know we want to be aspirational and we hope that we're making a difference somehow and it's got to, that's got to be from the heart you know you want to be able to turn around and say that you're delivering something that has made either an impression on somebody to a degree that that improves their life their lifestyle so yeah and and i'm going to echo louis points as well but it, it's crazy to see just how how much the brand has grown, yeah. uh, you know, throughout the years, and how much better everything's got as well. And I still remember in the day. You remember me and Louis being at meetings or in London or moving around and seeing somebody in a t-shirt. Yeah, fuck, somebody's wearing it. Yeah. five years ago. It's lovely feeling. Sprinting yeah. across like, mate, fuck, thank yeah. you. And I still think we are really close to the brand. You know, we are the brand. Mm -hmm. You know, and people re reaching out and speaking. We see all the comments. We yeah. interact with people as well, and the emails. All the communication comes into us. So authenticity yeah. for me i think yeah. hopefully people will remember that and the mm. credibility and the and the fact that we jumped into an extremely difficult market that usually the big boys have all the play yeah and we've come in and we've just You're shaking fucking, the market we've up. shook it yeah, up man. and we've stayed we've stayed true to who we are and we know that there are other brands out there now that are looking at us yeah. and that are saying fuck look at these guys yeah. look at how they're doing things yeah. and look can we do some of that as well so yeah. that's a really good it's not an ego thing it's mm. it's a compliment mm. to say you know we have stuck true to true to our, to who we were and our word and, and we've and we've tried to just yeah. forge our own path and stay authentic to that let's I've thoroughly enjoyed this. This has been a really powerful episode. And I've just got to take my hat off to you both for the journey you've been on. I've been on that journey. You know, business and entrepreneurship to you is what you six, seven years in now. It's amazing what you've achieved. And the most important thing I take from this is your honesty. And what another thing I take as well is both of you, you are going to have little clashes and how you come out the other side. It's like, right, we're on a mission. I don't care. We make up next day. Bam, we're on it. And to have those right people coming in strategically, like you mentioned, CEO, COO, different investors. It really is a special, special journey you're on and massive respect to you. And anyone out there, anyone out there listening, please go and check out Through Dark. That's T-H-R-U-D-A-R-K.com. Gents, I've loved it. Thanks, Lodge. Thank you. You're both proper gentlemen. Thank you, gentlemen. Cheers, Dad. Cheers, Louis. Appreciate Cheers, it, boys. Thank you.